Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Tanner Grace, and as always, I'm joined by Ross Merriam. Here we are for take two at this week's episode. Uh, how you doing, Ross? I'm just glad that this time the tech issues were on your end and not mine. I was going to say that. I, I'll take full responsibility. It's it's my my problem this time because we've had, what, I think two issues in the past, both of which yeah. were you. Yeah. And I was not happy. <laughs> at least we didn't do the entire episode this time. We have to do the entire thing. Yeah, we were 20 minutes in. So, you yeah. know. So we hadn't even gotten to the magic stuff yet. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be fine. We did. I did. You know, we did have to put it off a day as a result because I had some, uh, some plans later and we just didn't have enough time to restart. Yeah, we had like shoehorned it into a certain area yeah, where we both exactly. had open time. Yeah. Just one of those things. I, I'm just, I'm literally busier than I was before mm-hmm. quarantine in quarantine because of, of, trying to get streaming in and, Humble and brag. Else, but whatever we've got a podcast that we're doing now we have the time to talk about anything what do you want to talk about tannin well i mean i'm gonna give a little teaser of what's gonna be in the show today i'm pretty excited about it we got is it zendikar rising yeah oh it, i lots, lots. that's a surprise how, how could man we are we are just real geniuses well on that subject, we're real geniuses on some of the stuff, and then we may have missed a card or two. Okay, uh, it's pretty big time. The set isn't even technically legal yet, so let's you know we're <laughs> only seeing roll. the early returns, but yeah, we sure. have a pretty good idea that we kind of missed one. Um, yeah, yeah, we might have missed one big. We'll talk about that one. Uh, some new deck lists, uh, including some that have a lot of new cards, because yeah. I thought this set would uh, be pretty impactful, more so than the last one at the core set. Even a deck that has zero lands. You know, we have a oops all spells type Zero lands it with, yeah. with an asterisk. Big old quotation marks. Yeah. yeah. Lots of cool stuff there. So I'm, I'm excited about that. This is the, you know, week one of it being played online. So you know that people are going to be trying new cards and some people are going to do well. The real question is what is Zendikar Rising going to look like two or three weeks from now? Once people have seen the new cards, lists get tuned, metagame, the metagame reacts to the, the new decks, you know, which ones have staying power, which ones don't is the real question. So we'll, we'll make some judgments on where we think decks are and what, where we think pioneer will head in the future. But first we got to talk about non-magic stuff. Yeah. It's fuck magic. Uh, I mean, I know what's going on right now for me. That's, that's got my attention is I'm in the, like the very end of the, you know, the, the regular season for baseball is about to end. Yeah. So which means I'm in, like, the fantasy baseball season is about to end. Right. And I am literally sweating every pitch. Yeah. And, and my fantasy baseball season ended two weeks ago. Well, I'm playing for the championship of bo- like most of the leagues that I'm in. And one of the Finished others. Finished half a game outside the playoffs in my league. Yeah. Cause you suck. I also forgot that one, I literally had put fantasy sports just out of my head when COVID happened. I was like, yeah, of course right. we're not doing that. And then it just happened like, you know, last yeah. minute. I literally forgot when my fantasy baseball draft was happening and just had my team auto-drafted. And I still yeah. only finished a half game out of the playoffs. I think that's pretty it, good. Yeah, and just imagine if you got, uh, you know, every year Ross has this thing right before his draft. He's like, all right, give me your top, like, three sleepers. Yeah. And, like, all of my sleepers crushed it this year. So if you got even, like, one of those guys, you would have uh, been yeah. in a pretty good spot. Um, but instead, I wasn't. I just had, yeah, I yeah. had literal zero pitching. The best pitcher on my staff was Zach Wheeler. Well, see, that's the funny part is most of my sleepers this year were pitchers that I thought were super underrated, and they all crushed it. Like, uh, one of my sleepers is the guy. One of the guys that's going to want to Cy Young this year and was drafted in like round twelve. You yeah. Know what I mean? See, I would have had you Darvish, and then I would have just yeah, I would have won. You Darvish, my, my hitting was great. 
Yeah, you'd have you Darvish, Trevor Bauer, because like no one was drafting these guys because they had they had bad last years, and I was like, they're, they're they were actually just very unlucky. Yeah, if you look at their stats. Yeah, I, okay. and I had like Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner, and Charlie Blackman just carrying the offense. We were good. Yeah. So the problem that I'm having right now is I've in one of the leagues I've been I've been wire to wire first place, right? And so I'm in the finals right now, and this I might is a head head league, not roto. Yeah, this one's head to head, and I may have overmanaged by a game and really done myself in in the finals here so we're seeing like as of like this moment of getting second to second updates it's tied five to five but i'm losing in categories that i really need to be winning in you know what i mean for, for the week to work out so we'll have to see um obviously there's some luck involved in anything like this and oh, in yeah. my other league i'm playing for second place because the first place team it's a roto league and they're just so far ahead i don't think we can catch up with the amount of time that's left over um this is it one of those years our team was really good and it stayed healthy you know, it all just kind of worked and, and out. especially in this abbreviated season, health is going to be a much bigger factor. Yeah, because it's only sixty games, so it's not like you know, hey, if my player loses two weeks, like or three weeks, like oh, that's fine, I'll, I'll piecemeal it together yeah. for those two or three weeks, get somebody who's hot right now, and then they'll come back. It's like no, you just missed a half of the season. It's, it's yeah. one of the things I really like about fantasy baseball is that injuries aren't nearly as big of a deal. Yeah, like fantasy football I, I, just screws you. Yeah, I lost week multiple. one of fantasy football this year by point one two. Off of stat corrections that didn't happen until Wednesday. So I thought yeah. I had won. That's awesome. I thought that I had won by 2.88. Awesome. But yeah. stats got corrected. Three points in my opponent's favor. I lost by .12. And we're in IDP League, individual defensive players. And two of my three linebackers got injured in the first quarter of their games. And only they still each had three points, even in like eight minutes of action, which is good. But... If like literally they just stay in the game and get one more tackle, if fall on someone, yeah, literally fall on someone, get run over, and the yeah. guy trips, just yeah. unfucking believable. We actually had that happen this year. We had a, uh, you know, we're week to week in the head to head league, and we had one week where a guy won like five to four or whatever, and then it had to get updated because on like Tuesday they re-reviewed the stuff and they changed one of the error, they changed one of the uh, the scoring things, like either a hit to an error or like sure. they changed an earned run somewhere, so it, like it, it affected a stat category they were they were tied in. So instead of it being like, you know, five to four, it was, it was five, it was four to five or whatever the other way around. And it's just like, someone's like, oh, that's BS. You know, like they were like pretty mad. I'm like, dude, that's how the game works, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> like, Don't worry. I feel their pain. It's fucking BS. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I you know, keeping it that, uh, the Braves clinched the division, uh, two days ago. It was the day of us recording the, you know, I got to talk about like, you know, kind of more freshly when we were doing this the first sure. time, but I'm pretty excited about it. It's our third in a row. Uh, we were nowhere near the favorites all three years by the quote-unquote experts. I could have told you every time that we were going to win the division because the Mets and the Phillies are always severely overrated. Um, yeah, but is anybody really going to believe you, Tannen? I mean, you you're, probably should. You're a little biased. Well, yes. Okay. I am biased. I would believe you about every other division in Major League Baseball. Uh, look, here's the thing. If you'd asked me where the Braves would finish for the last, I think, nine years in a row, ten years in a row, something like that, maybe longer— I would have given you an honest answer, and I would have been right. Like, almost every single time. There might have been a year where they finished fourth instead of fifth, and I'd have been like, yeah, we might finish last. Or it's it's between us and the Marlins. Like, we're both terrible, you know, kind of thing. Or whatever. Yeah, because you got bad there for a few years. Yeah, but, like, that's why they got bad there for years. We did it the right way. We completely tanked. We gave away, like, all of our talent but one player. We kept Freeman, thank God, you know. And then and he, like, leveled kids. up. I remember having him on my fantasy team during one of the years where he'd have, like, a high eights OPS and he uh-huh. was like one of the one, not one of the elite first basemen, but like the second tier. And now he's just the best. Yeah, now like, and it was Goldschmidt who was like ahead, and they just kind of flip flopped. Yeah, so it actually happened about two or three years ago, right? Like yeah. he just like ascended into superstardom. 
And then he got hurt really bad where, like, he took an inside pitch, like, off his wrist, and it broke his wrist. It, like, hurt him really bad. He ended up missing, like, six weeks or something like that, or, like, four or six weeks. But the problem is when you're a hitter, if your wrist is hurt, like, you're, you're not the same guy. Yeah. You're also, like, not taking swings during that time. You need yeah. to let the, the wrist heal. Unlike if you had, like, a leg injury, you could stay in there and take some swings. Mm-hmm. And so, like, his wrist and elbow have been kind of bothering for the last, because, like, uh, last year in the playoffs, he didn't really look himself in the first round of the playoffs last year, and we lost. And I am a firm belief that had we made the second round of the playoffs last year, I don't even know if he plays. Because the day after, like, the day the playoffs ended, the first day that he had off, he went and had surgery on his elbow, and they removed, like, bone spurs and pieces of bone from his elbow. So he's, like, playing through that. And... So this year, he's like back to the level that he was, you know, before he got injured a couple years ago. And he's back to just, you know, utterly crushing it. And someone asked him and he's like, it's, it's, and it's, it's crazy too, because he actually had COVID. He almost missed the start of the season. Right. And he was, and he was not playing well for the first two weeks. Like he was hitting under 200 for the first two weeks. And then all of a sudden he was just the best hitter in baseball. And people are like, what happened? He's like, well, I finally put the weight back on because I lost like 30 pounds or 20 pounds of COVID. And uh, he had like one of the bad instances where he said he legit thought he was going to die. And then, um, you know, he's, he said, I'm finally healthy. He's like, this is the best my elbows ever, ever felt through a season, you know, except for like maybe 10 years ago. Cause he's somehow been in the league for 10 years and he's like not even 30 yet. He, he came up as like a 19 year old okay. phenom with Atlanta in like 2010. And yeah. So anyway, long story short, uh, they just won their 20th division title in the history of baseball and no other team has ever done that. That is a new record. So, uh, Pretty exciting about that. It, it, you, we got, I got to take it where we can because we only got one championship during our real dominant run when yeah. we were like we were the Patriots of like the yeah when, you know, when, we you, had the when your division. rotation was just fucking Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz. Yeah, just three Hall of Famers, yeah, and then our, our lineup had one Hall of Famer at, with an asterisk because it was technically it's actually two. They just haven't put the other guy in, even though he deserves it. Yeah, Andrew Jones deserves keeping to be up with the Joneses. Yeah, but you just had Chipper hitting the middle of the lineup the entire time, you know, and then you had three of the best pitchers in baseball feeding off each other. And then everyone always forgets that like their fourth and fifth starters were never really bad. Like they always had other good guys too, you know, and that team was so good. They could just never win the, like we ran into the team of destiny, like multiple times as I joke, you know, that team that just like gets really hot. Like we, the, the Florida Marlins one where we lost, I thought we were going to win that year. And there's the LeVon Hernandez game where he struck out like 16 batters. And he's like, never come close to that ever again. And they, they, the video of the strikeouts of this are just the most absurd that you've ever seen. The ball's like, 12 inches off the plate and the umpires just ringing them up and like they'll show you overhead views and the ball is never a strike and they're like calling strikeouts and they're just like yeah they're like what are we supposed to do like the umpire literally just handed them the game you know kind of thing but it's one of those ones where like the fix is in you know whatever whatever jokes anyway getting a little salty there tannin yeah that one i'm salty about yeah that one i'm salty about don't worry like, i'm salty about a lot of things too Jordan i'm okay pushed losing off. i'm okay losing like you know if you just call the game fair it's it's like the saints thing a couple years ago where like we didn't get to get to go to the we did not get to go to the super bowl because they just like didn't call pass interference on this play that they should have called pass interference on everyone everyone in the fucking stadium saw it and like i love it there's this picture of it of the ball is still you know three feet away from the receiver's hands the 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 defender like has him wrapped up right like he's got like his helmet in his chest and he's wrapped up and you can see the umpire like you know that the the stance they make when they're like looking to make a call, and he's staring right at it, and they're like, "Yeah, no good, you know, just no good, no catch." And you're just like, the whole stadium just stopped. Everybody's like, "Wait, what?" Because it's like one of those calls where like you see it, and the guy on it doesn't make the call, but then usually the flag comes in from the other side because the guy's like, "Dude, that's just blatant." Like, I yeah, see yeah. Her. And <laughs> no, no one threw a hanky, and we're just like, "All right, like, 
you know, whatever. I mean, everyone, everyone who's a sports fan has something like that, right? Like you have some, some thing, you know, that happened to your team at some point in time and you're like, oh, we got dicked here, you know, or whatever. So Jordan pushed off. Yeah, whatever. He didn't. Oh yeah. He pushed so off. You, you're, you're telling me right now, you wouldn't think Donovan Mitchell would get that mm. in the, it, it, wouldn't get that call. I don't know if Donovan Mitchell would get that, but I know he fucking pushed off. Uh, I hope ever. I hope some people understand this reference. Cause I remember watching it. I remember watching it live and jumping off my couch because I was like twelve. Or and it's you know? and it's turned into like one of the most iconic moments in the history of the league. I honestly th- wish it was more iconic because I wish he just didn't come back after that. You know, didn't make that comeback with the Wizards. Yeah, there's a lot of people that have some ill-fated comebacks. Yeah, because like that is like literally the, the like you can't write it. Like you, if you write this and put it in movie form, that the last shot he ever makes is the winning shot in the you know the the final game of the finals. Like, you, that's that's like that's a Disney movie. You know, I expect I expect the shot to be taken by him or the dog that's on the team. Yeah, you know what I mean. Keep, keep in mind that that was not a buzzer beater. There was a yeah. Stockton three after yeah. that shot at the buzzer to, to try to win. Did yeah, of course. In. I mean, like there's still a shot, but like it's still the like you know the most iconic thing because you know he he sinks the shot and he just stands there with the follow through for a minute and like you can almost see him like nod to himself. You know, like yeah, like. That's it. Like he knows, you know. Like that's it. That's my, that that that's the last shot I'm ever gonna take, and I'm okay with it. You know, like this is you know that that moment of resignation. You know, he's like, yeah, I'm done. And this is this is the icing on the cake, or whatever you want to call it, cherry on top. You know, whatever saying you want to have. And then it just got taken away from us, and I was like, because he looks so weird in that in that in the wizard jersey. Yeah, it, it is weird. And they were the wizards at that time, right? Like they had already what? Had they yeah they changed yeah, over to yeah, the wizards. They, they yeah, they changed in like 2000, 2001. Yeah, I couldn't remember when it was. Yeah, because yeah. they were the Bullets or whatever before. Yeah, that, right? they were, were originally in Baltimore. They were the Baltimore Bullets and moved to D.C. And then they didn't want it. D.C. was, that's like one of the uh, sort of uh, zeniths for them in terms of crime rate. And so yeah. they thought it was like a bad look for them to have their team called the Bullets. Probably so shouldn't they, have a sports changed. franchise called the Bullets, honestly. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we've got away from all of those at least. You know, like the Colt 45s and like all this other stuff we've sure. had for some well, there's Not definitely some ones we still gotta get away from. Hey, we we did we're we got one, one down. down. Yeah, one down. Uh, I was gonna say my franchise needs to maybe change up some stuff. They have, but they said they're probably not gonna change the name. So we'll see. Yeah, that one should probably change. Kansas City and, and the NFL should change. They should just all change. But it's you know it's easy. You don't have to come up with it. Just Kansas City football team, <laughs> you know, Atlanta Georgia baseball team. There you go. Like good enough. You know, it's like uh, it's like who are who are you a fan of? And it, you just have to show them a symbol. Your team is just a symbol now, kind of like Prince. Like, you don't <laughs> have a name anymore. It's just the A. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just a circle with a W. Well, in it. See, that's the thing. You can't even do that in Atlanta because there already are the A's. So like, you can't really it was, just be that symbol. It was gonna be really funny this year because Washington was was supposed to suck, but aren't they are they two and zero right now? I know they won Dude, week one. I don't even, look. I, I'm gonna be honest with you. I watch Saints games. Because, like, you know, it's a fun thing to do, and, like, I'm a Saints fan, and, like, I, you know, as, as uh, hard as it's been to watch so far, I want to watch Breeze on, like, what I think is going to be his last season. Yeah. But he has not looked very good this year, but I hate the NFL, honestly. Like, I hate a lot of things about it, so it's really hard for me to watch the NFL. Like, I can't tell you the last time I watched a game that wasn't a Saints game. It's been a long time. Yeah. I've watched some playoff games. I basically never watch regular season games anymore. Maybe the Super Bowl, just because, like, the commercials are, you know, you go to a party and, like, the commercials are gas. And, like, I usually don't even watch the actual game. I just watch the commercials, you know, all the good movie trailers and stuff. But I haven't, I'm, I can't even remember the last time I watched a Super Bowl. Honestly. I definitely watched last year's because I remember all the, the moms were angry about the, the halftime show. 
What the fuck it was, was the halftime show? It was like Shakira and uh, God, who else? It was like two female artists and uh, J Lo, Shakira and J Lo, and they just like rocked it and like they were in some very, very like revealing outfits and you know a lot of the like you know moms and Karens were all like, yeah, go fuck you know, yourself. Yeah, and it was just like, dude, this is actually one of the better halftime shows they've ever had. Like it's like super entertaining, like. You know, who, like let them wear what they want to wear as long as they're not naked. Like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, not we've already like, done that. Yeah, I know. We've already had, like, yeah, that set the, the Super Bowl halftime show back by like fifty years. That was like twenty whatever. years ago now. Uh, yeah, I think it was like no, it was like early two thousands. Because okay, so do you know that that is indirectly responsible for the birth of YouTube? Yeah, I did read that recently. Apparently, they were t- uh oh, it was it was oh four. Yeah, the two guys who made YouTube, I remember it was, two, it was two friends or like brothers or something that made YouTube. They were sitting around like having a beer in their garage or something, right? And they were talking about, they're like, hey, did you see the the Super Bowl thing? And the guy's like, no. And he's like, well, I don't know how to show you. Like, there's nowhere to go and just find clips. He's like, yeah, what if there's a website that just like had all the clips of everything you ever wanted to see or whatever? And so they just made YouTube. And now they're billionaires or whatever, you know? Like, So well, thanks, thanks, Janet it. Jackson and Justin Timberlake. <laughs> Good old JT. And... uh and JJ just coming through and making people billionaires. There we go. That's a that's that's the did you know moment on the show for this week. That, that was oh four. So that was the that would have been the Patriots Panthers Super Bowl. I would never know, but if you told me the Patriots, I have to believe you. And is that the Jake Delhome Panthers Super Bowl? Yeah, you get a Louisiana boy. I like um, it. Yeah, I think. So hold on. So my freshman year of high school was the Bucks Raiders Super Bowl. What year was your freshman year of high school? O two O three school. Okay, so that was my first year of college. I graduated yeah. in O three. So then O three. Uh, so then O three O well O two O three then would have been your last year of high school, right? Y- yeah, like O three yeah. I graduated in O three, then I went into college in O three. Yeah, yeah. So my freshman year of high school was, was your senior year because you're old. Uh, so Very. yeah, so th- this would have been the the, the Jake Delhomme. And then uh, that they they won on another field goal with less than a minute to go. And then the next year was Eagles Patriots. And then my senior year would have been the oh yeah I didn't watch that one because I was Steelers Seahawks and nobody gave a fuck. Steelers Seahawks I remember that one yeah also I hate Ben Roethlisberger so yeah I'm exactly not get into that Ben Roethlisberger is a piece of shit <laughs> yeah giant he's a giant piece of shit <laughs> yeah but. How are people Steelers fans? He's such a piece of shit. You have to be from Pittsburgh. To I don't like, like I, even then I would just stop being a Steelers fan until he yeah. was off the team. He's such a piece of shit. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, even I, even I have said some stuff about Breeze recently and yeah, Breeze is not, Breeze is not good, but he's not just like really an active, just piece he's of shit. He's maybe just an idiot. You know what I mean? Like maybe just like unaware. I yeah. think he's a little unaware. You know what I mean? Like, or who, who knows? But yeah, whatever. Like Ben Roethlisberger is just actively a piece of shit. <laughs> All right, we're just. I love it. This the show. This summer just airing the grievances. Jordan yeah. pushed off. Roethlisberger is a piece of shit. Like I like it. Let's go. I do have one more thing I want to talk about before we get sure. into magic stuff. Sure. And it's it's nice that we had the technical difficulty yesterday because I I wouldn't have been able to talk about it yesterday because yesterday was the last day of a season for my trivia league. Right. Oh, okay. So we didn't get regulated last year. Are we? Are we not mm. getting regulated again this year? I, I yeah. I uh, avoided. Regulation. Wait, hold on. Let me. Let me. I think you might be a little out of date. We do four seasons a year. So. Oh, I thought it was like a yearly thing. No, no. Okay. Each season is twenty-five days. So there's four of them in a year. Let me 
go to my past seasons. So yeah, I got, so I got relegated two seasons ago. And then last season I got promoted again because I'm, I'm, uh, uh, whenever I get, I've, this is the second time I'd been relegated back down to D and I pretty quickly get back, get back up. And so I was in C again this season and I was having like the best season I've ever had. I literally, you know, set my personal best for total correct answers. I was up about like 58% when normally I'm like 50%. Right. And early on, I was like playing horrible defense, just like, uh, oh, for people who don't know in the, in this trivia league, you get six questions on a day honor system. Don't look it up. You have a full day to like, you know, submit your answers and you're, you're matched up against somebody. And you get their category breakdown and that like their, you know, correct answer rate in all these different categories. And you have to assign points values to each of the questions. So zero, two ones, two twos, and a three, but you assign them for your opponent. And then whoever scores the most points based on which questions they got and what your opponent assigned them to, uh, for their point values, you know, is how you win. And throughout the early part of the season, like my opponents were constantly getting the questions in their bad categories and missing the questions in their easy categories. So I was just getting destroyed. Like I lost uh, day six this season when I got five questions right to their four, but I, they gave me six points, which means they correctly guessed the, put the three in the only question that I didn't get. So perfect defense. I gave them eight points on four questions, which means the yeah. two they missed, I assigned zero and one, which means yeah. I played it perfectly awful defense. Wrong. Yeah, perfectly wrong. Yeah. yeah. You know, like shit like that was happening to me, but I was just like getting so many questions right that I was winning days, just like, you know, four to three and four to two and, and things like that. And I was also getting pretty lucky. I think I ended, ended like third to last in terms of questions against. So like mm-hmm. my opponents just weren't getting questions right. So I was up near the top of the standings and I had a, like a, a bit of a bad run. And then I ran off five straight wins to put myself in second place and top three get promoted. And I've never been promoted up to B. I lost the second to last day to get down to third. And I was, you know, uh, I if I won, I was locked to third, like nobody can pass me. If I tied, then maybe I can drop down to fourth. And if I lose, there's a pretty good chance I dropped down to fourth. And I took it home. I got four nice. questions right on the last day. My opponent only got three. I played reasonable defense. I, I gave them one extra point. So a point away from perfect. And so was my opponent. But so I'm going to I'm going to be in B division next season. It's gonna be gas. I'm gonna get fucking annihilated. Yeah, I was gonna try to nicely say like it's it's gonna be f- fun and gas, but you're gonna get killed. Yeah, if like my my goal is to literally avoid being relegated immediately. If I can stay in B for multiple seasons, I'll be happy with that. Hopefully, yeah. I now have I think multiple seasons in a row where I've been up above fifty five percent for the season. So I like when I started doing this a couple of years ago. It was, you know, years since I had, you know, kind of stopped watching Jeopardy, and I was just out of out of you know out of shape really trivia wise. And I've gotten, you know, slowly back into the groove of things. So now I think I'm just sharper. Um, so maybe like, you know, I'll consistently be a little above 50%, but that's still not going to like most B divisions are the average players like above 60 or something. Uh, so it, it's going to be tough, but I've got a nice, you know, month off. I wonder what's going on for like mini league. There, there's all sorts of stuff. You got, a nice, you got a nice month off so you can put in some extra training. You know, we can do like the training montage for you yeah. getting ready for your, your trivia league. Yeah, we, we, can get, we can get some flashcards. Yes, sure. I'll help you out. I'll be your flashcard buddy. Uh, I do really want to try to get into the magic soon so we can get that stuff done with because I am actually, I meant to say this at the early part of the show and forgot. I'm really looking forward to the mailbag. Yeah, we we saved the mailbag for a little bit because we did the whole Patreon episode. So yeah, we got a lot of questions. There's there's one one or two questions in there I'm a big fan of and has some good answers too. So 
I'm liking that. So, all right, let's go ahead and just get started. Uh, did you want to start with like some of the decks that we saw, or did you want to start with like some of the results that we saw from like the challenge? Let's do results from the challenge. I think that's okay, the biggest so... thing. Um, and uh, you know, those are that that's just the thing that matters the most, right? Well, yeah. Let's go ahead and start with the one that happened on the 19th. Um, so that one happened first, and I got to say this with the deck that won in this one and the deck that won the second one we're talking about, you're going to see why we had the cards that we had ranked number one, number one. <laughs> so the deck that took first place was just Selesny Auras, right? So just green, white Auras. And yeah, lo and behold, we got we got some new cards in here, right? We got, we got some cool stuff. But if you look in that land slot, there's a four of, of uh, I, I always have to look at these names and really it's Branch Loft Pathway. So just the green, white flip land, whatever. The thing you got to remember with the pathway names is uh, the, it's all it's always a compound word and then pathway. And it's the second part of the compound word that is shared by the two halves. Sure. And uh, the first part that changes. So, yeah, it's like branch loft and boulder loft, I think, are the two halves of the green, white one. So, yeah. Uh, so this is just your typical green, white, Luris, you know, deck. We've, we've seen this prop up in the past, never had like too much continued success you know it's never really like dominated a format like the the black white or as loris deck did when it was legal um but this is pretty cool and I, I gotta say this every time i see this deck i always forget that glade cover scout is legal in this format you know it always surprised me like oh yeah that that card is legal in here i was in m14 i think yeah something along those lines but lots of cool cards in here a, a card that you were a big fan of during the preseason is uh i'll see it of life's bounty and this is a pretty good one because, like, it can straight up win you some matchups because the fact that, A, it protects some of your creatures, but B, it just has a lifelink printed on the card. So if you suit it up with enough pants, as we will call it, you know, just put pants on it, um, this can straight up just win, like, any of the matchups against the red decks that are trying to race you. Like, they're, they're just not going to be able to anymore. And, you know, you've got a Danto Vanguard showing up here as a one-of, just another card that, while it doesn't have shroud protection kind of stuff, it's really hard to kill. Yeah, and, and I think that that's the key thing here is if you compare this deck to Orzov, uh, the Orzov deck is basically mono white with Hateful Eidolon, right? And, you know, there's some black cards on the sideboard, but in, in the main deck, they used to play Ephemia, they don't really anymore. Um, this deck in it is playing Glade Cover Scout over Hateful Eidolon, which is, you know, an upgrade for sure. Uh, you know, the Hexproof thing is, is just great, but it's also playing Season of Growth as sort of a secondary SRAM. So you have a second card advantage engine, which is great. But Season of Growth means that you have to cut down on your creature count. Now, that's reasonable because Glade Cover Scout has Hexproof, so you're often only going to need the one threat when you have a scout draw. But playing a Donto Vanguard as the 13th creature here, I think is really smart because it's like a fifth Glade Cover Scout. It's often going to survive through removal, and that's what you really need. Because this deck isn't going to have that second or third threat through a removal spell as often as the Orzov deck does. Yeah, and I really kind of wanted to point out one more time the branch off pathway thing. This is pretty big in making the green-white deck uh, kind of function better. Well, you already have Temple Garden, you already have Mana Confluence, but you don't have what the black-white deck had in. The black-white had a, a fast land. You had, uh, yeah, Concealed what, Courtyard. What, concealed Courtyard. I knew something Courtyard. Uh, it's Concealed Courtyard. So this is like its version of Concealed Courtyard. Well, yeah, I get it. It's not uh, the, the green-white fast land because we, we don't have that in the format yet. I'm hoping we get it eventually. Um, this goes a long way in making sure that your, your hand just is a little bit smoother every game. So uh, kind of happy to see these cards show up and do well and happy to see some decks that are a little bit different. And I kind of mentioned the lifelink thing being important because it looks like it beat Mono Red Aggro in the in the finals of this tournament. And you got to believe that, that that is something that could have happened is they just went, I'll see, protect it, kill you. You know, oh, one yeah. of those things. You know, you know that's, yeah. That's definitely also, one of, that's yeah. one of the, the real awesome parts about I'll see it. So it actually plays double duty. Like, it, you know, yeah. it's easy to write that off as just a pure protection spell. 
Yeah. Uh, but it is often just a creature that you want to suit up when you're racing. Also, some of the other cool things going on in this top eight besides the deck list. Uh, I don't know if you looked at the player names, but this was another stacked Pioneer top eight. I see eight. Caleb Shearer. I see Tiago Saparito. Yeah, X Whale's in here. Uh, Bel- Belovo's in here. Look at look ninth place. Even in Goldocket is a is a pretty big name. I'm not even going down all the way, but dude, Jeskai Luca is just cursed. Ninth place again. I know, right? Where where's uh, where's Corey when you need him? But yeah, um, Reclamation made another show in this. It was, it, its highest finish here is, is sixth. Um, it's a deck you know that I have been touted as it was quite possibly the best deck in the format, which. The format's new now, so I'm not sure if it's technically the best deck anymore. But it's it's something it's, it's like one of the litmus tests, yeah. tests of this format. Let's let's talk about first place in the other challenge for a second because it's so related to first place in this challenge, right? You already mentioned it. It's like the importance of pathways, and for those of you who uh, you know either you know didn't weren't there live or haven't watched the, our previous episode, which was our you know preview episode for Zendikar Rising, the top the number one card on our list was pathways for both of us. For the set and our chat, you know, watching live kind of got on us. They're like, really? Like pathways? Are you sure? And honestly, like I I thought it was obvious to the point where I thought everybody would be like, yeah, of course, pathways. Like I thought maybe, yeah. you know, I thought they would be disappointed that we included them at all. That the list should just be top eight non-pathway cards, right? You know? And instead they were just like, didn't think pathways were gonna be good. And I don't think people understand, like, one of the most important things about dual lands in aggressive decks is having early access to both colors. Like it's hard, you know, you don't have this problem as much as you do in Pioneer as you do in something like Standard, but often to get a good enough curve as an aggro deck, you need two different colors of one drops. And when you're a two color deck, it's hard to be consistently casting those one drops. You often have a hand where you're just like, oh, I don't have turn one, you know, green mana for my green one drop, but I have the red one drop in my hand. This is a tilt. So having lands that can tap for either color of mana on turn like one or two, super valuable. Like pathways are, in my opinion, like better better than pain lands. I think I they're, they're worse. That. They're worse than fast lands. They're worse than shock lands, but they're they're better than pain lands. So the third best set of dual lands available in the format, right? Yeah, and it, I've heard people say they might be the third best dual land ever printed as well. I know Todd has gone on. Uh, been quoted multiple times as saying that he thinks they're the third best dual land ever printed behind duels and shock lands. He thinks they're better than fast lands. I I don't know if he agrees with that technically, but like yeah. at all points in the game. Sure, sure. You know, I, I, honestly, like I, I could he- I could hear the argument. I, I yeah. I'm being I'm being conservative. Um, like I I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. It's certainly way fucking better than check lands of goddamn port town. Jesus fucking Christ! So super important for these decks to have access to them. And if you remember, I specifically noted the Selesnya and Gruul ones as being important yeah, because I thought those important. color combinations had potential as aggressive decks, but their mana bases were holding them back. And Selesnya and Gruul won both challenges. So I'm just going to pat myself on the back. And he's now the show's he's over. He's literally now. patting himself on the back right now. Yeah. Show's over. We're done here. Uh, yeah. So real quick, uh, aside about what you said earlier, I've always thought that we should have a Patreon tier where at a certain amount or a certain time, that they've been there that we should send them a signed copy of port town <laughs> fucking port town what it a would, joke <laughs> it would not be a signed copy it would be a defaced copy oh just like no no it'd be ripped in half and i sign one half and you sign the other half. perfect yeah and then fine. crudely taped together um maybe I think glued. What you would do is a safety pin i think you'd use like a, a safety, safety pin, pin. <laughs> something just absurd like utterly or stapled 
Like just a rude, like, and not even cleanly stapled. I'm talking like, oh yeah, sideways yeah, a little. The, like, the staples all jagged. Yeah. yeah, you think you're gonna cut yourself? Love it. Uh, so if we go back to the uh, the, the finishing decks on the 19th, there there is a deck that I want to point out because while we're patting ourselves on our back, I do actually want to take time to talk about something we potentially missed quite a bit. And I don't know how we kind of missed this, but I can see why. I I understand how I missed it. I, I do too. But if you look at the fifth place deck, it doesn't really have a name. It just has colors because this deck has a lot of colors in it. And it's a it's a Yorion deck, but it's just it's a Yorion like Lotus Cobra deck. But that's not the card that I mentioned. I did think you, Lotus Cobra could like have potential in this format. But had I thought about how impactful Omnath might have been in this format, I might have had Lotus Cobra higher because it was probably ninth or 10th on my list. And what we're seeing here is just a deck that it's got Yorion, but we've got a Boreal Grazer, Lotus Cobra, Uro, which I think Uro makes Omnath better. You know what I mean? Uro kind of like is the yeah, natural We already know that, Shannon. Have you yeah. played a game of Standard yet? Uh, Have you watched a game of Standard yet? You, you, you act like I do that. Yeah, yeah. Let me rephrase that. Have you watched a game of Standard? Like You act like I do that. Believe no, no, no. me. I, 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 see, I, I know I'm what Uro, Lotus Cobra, and Omnath do, Tannen. I'm, I'm on Magic Twitter enough to know. They've, done, they've done it to me over and over and over again in the last week. But, so I'm already sick say, of it. Okay, stop talking. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm just about Never. To so, so what I'm trying to say, I know, right? So what I'm trying to say is that we missed on Omnath quite a bit, and we'll have to see what happens, especially in Standard. Like, you know, we're hearing that quite possibly Uro is getting the axe on Monday. Something's happening. We got another announcement of an announcement. You know, we could talk about that later if we have time or whatever, but Uro might be going somewhere. And I think that Uro is in the short list of cards that could possibly be banned from this format eventually. Yeah, that, that's what everybody expects. Yeah, I think Uro just is a magic card that it's 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 along the 2019 cards where we can just delete these from magic and I would be better off. Because I will say this, when, it, when I look at magic right now, especially in standard, having cards like uh, Teferi and Narset and stuff just not exist anymore... I'm actually just kind of happy because I'm like, those just didn't lead to good games of magic in my opinion. So we'll see. Oh yeah. But this deck's really cool. Uh, it's just trying to do a lot of big busted things at really high mana cost. And you're seeing growth spiral in the deck, but you're seeing a card that, you know, I talked about, it might show up in this format because uh, it got printed finally in cultivate. And this one is, this one's important because we've had versions of cards like this in the past, but they only get forest. You know, they don't go get two different colors, which is a big deal. And then the casting into expensive sorceries, which is one of my favorite ways to play magic is ramping into expensive sorceries or planeswalkers. And uh, they kind of top out at Escape the Wilds, Genesis Ultimatum. Yeah, I said Genesis Ultimatum. Uh, the Seagate Restoration, that's the blue mythic modal land. Yeah. And uh, Turn Timber Symbiosis, which is the green mythic uh, flip land. Tannen, what you have to understand here is this is basically just the standard deck. Yep. With the you know, adding Yorian, and that gives you a bunch, you know, 20 extra cards. And those 20 extra cards are the non-standard ones. It's like you get Grazer, Agent of Treachery to make Yorian great, and it's a great thing to ramp into. You get Teferi Time Raveler and this one Nahiri the Harbinger, right? It, the rest of this is basically the standard version. Some yeah. standard lists play Felidar Retreat, some don't. Um, but Lotus Cobra, Uro, Omnath, Escape to the Wilds, Genesis Ultimatum, Cultivate, that's the, that's the core of the standard. Yep. With like one or two Ugans. We see one Ugan here. So this is, you know, just a Pioneer port of a standard deck, which kind of goes to show you how powerful the standard deck is because it works also in Pioneer. Um, I think Agent of Treachery is a great thing to be ramping into in this deck. Obviously, like, making Yorian great is awesome. You have the Yorian to Fairy Time Raveler loops. That's great. Um, I also really like the one Nahiri. I think that's a card a lot of people would overlook, but it gives you answers to, like, tricky permanence. And minus aiding Nahiri to find Agent of Treachery is pretty nice. Yeah, absolutely. And... 
I look at this deck and it, it's cool. It's definitely up my alley. This wasn't the, it, this isn't isolated either. It finished 17th and 22nd in this event as well. So like winning records from everybody that played the deck. Um, I do have a, a question for you though. So when I'm looking through the mana base. I knew that I would see Fabled Passage. I have to ask you, this has to be the highest place of finishing ever for evolving wilds in, in a Pioneer tournament, right? Yeah. This deck has just got four evolving wilds in it because of Lotus Cobra and of, uh, obviously the mana re uh, requirements on Omnath. Well, not just the mana requirements, but also to take advantage of Omnath yeah. triggers, right? Yeah. So you just want landfall triggers, also Felidar Retreat, so it works quite well in the deck. Um, and, you know, you can afford to have a lot of ETB tap lands because your land count is just high in general. You you have enough ETB on tap lands to make it work anyway. So you've got eight Triumphs, four Evolving Wilds, Fable Passage is tapped early, but the, the mana still works. So, yeah, definitely the highest finishing for Evolving Wilds. That's a card that has caught on pretty quickly in Standard as well. So this really is just, you know, a, a port of a standard deck. Um, and, you know, we've seen that happen a lot. Where like Jeskai Fires got ported from standard into Pioneer. Reclamation decks went from standard into Pioneer. Standard's just been so powerful over the last, you know, year or two. So uh, all those decks making their way into Pioneer and, and having success. I, I will say, I think the reason that I didn't include Omnath is because I fucking hate it. Okay? I fucking hate this card. What the hell? Why Stop making cards that do everything. In particular, you can't make cards that generate an advantage on all three axes. This is, draws a card when it enters the battlefield, so you can't kill it with removal spells. You can't race it because it gains a bajillion life. And you can't go over the top of it because it ramps into the most powerful shit, Genesis Ultimatum and Agent of Treachery. So it does all three things really, really well. It's a card that you absolutely have to remove the from the battlefield, but you don't want to because it already drew a card. Like, you know, when you think about it, uh, there's this great article, and if you haven't read it from years ago by Pat Chapin, that essentially classified all creatures in Magic's history as either Muldrifters or Baneslayer Angels, right? Baneslayer Angels were usually like, you know, very good stats, but, you know, could, were vulnerable to being removed efficiently by removal Dies spells. to Doomblade. Yeah, they, they were the Dies to Doomblade creatures, but if they didn't die, they were going to take over the game. And then you had the cards like Muldrifter that always got you value, but, you know, could get trumped on the battlefield by Baneslayer Angel. And recently they've just started printing Baneslayer Drifters, or, you know, the, and you just can't Mole keep angels. doing that. Yeah, Mull Angels, yeah, yeah. They're all Simic, too, somehow. Like, Oko is basically that, that same thing, right? It very It's also very difficult to remove, which is the thing with Oko. But, like, it gained life, it generated card advantage, and it, you know, created a big battlefield. And, you know, same thing with Hydra Crisis. Gain life, drew cards, you know, dominate the battlefield. Uro, gain life, draw cards, dominate the battlefield. You know, th it's just the same thing over and over and over and over again. Wh when will you learn? How many times have to teach you this lesson, old man? Yeah. <laughs> So maybe it's just, you know, I, I kind of, it was just wishful thinking on my part in, in my subconscious. that was just like, I don't want this card to be good. I don't. I'm, I'm already sick of playing against it. Why? Like four life? Do you know how much four life a turn is? I've been trying to play aggro decks in standard for the last week in preparation for the, the last weekend of the SCG Tour online season two. And it's just fuck like, what the fuck? It's four life? I'm, I'm playing one minute one ones over here. You're gaining four life return off land drops with your cantripping format of four fours? What the hell? And it's like, well, it should be a cost to put four colors of mana in your deck, but it just isn't 
because we have triomes and you know lotus cobra and all this shit but you know what is a cost having two colors in my fucking aggro deck because it can never fucking work what the fuck tell us how you really feel ross but yeah i fucking hate this card already that that's like one of the reasons i have a problem with standard is like i just look at this and i'm like Dude, it's not even out on paper yet, and this card is already dominating the format. People are already talking about banning this card. Yeah, you know, they're already talking about banning Omnath. I hate it. It makes me believe that Monday we might get an announcement of something like Uro being banned or whatever, but they might also talk about, like, maybe we get a suspension list in Standard, like we have in Historic, where they yeah. could try... This would be a nice time to start trying a suspension list, right? Because people aren't really buying that many paper cards anyway. At least they're not buying them for tournament decks, right? Right, they can't be. So, you know... The, well, the awkward thing, though, is, like... What if they suspend a card? Do you just have useless cards on your arena account for a month, and then if they decide to unban it, okay, you're good. If they decide to ban it, then they give you the wild cards. I guess that's honestly, I would be fine with that. Um, but I'm just, I'm just sick of this card. The, the number of times where my opponent is like cast an Omnath, and I'm like, okay, they can play a land, they get four life, and I'm like, I, I'm going to be able to deal with the Omnath and like make a good attack here and we'll be fine. We'll be really far ahead. And then they just play a Fable Passage, make five goddamn mana. And it's like, okay, now they Uroed me and then, then you know, dealt me four damage and then also, you know, stomped one of my creatures and now I have nothing. It's like, you got to be fucking kidding me. What the fuck is wrong with all of you? Stop doing this. Stop. Just Stop. Uh, yeah, and so on to other decks. Uh, we saw a couple mono black decks do really well. Uh, fourth place, seventh place, eighth place, and tenth it, it was, place. It was the most popular deck yeah. by far in both in the top thirty twos of both challenges. So like mono black is sort of mono black and reclamation seem like the decks that you have to prepare for. Yeah, I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about Belovo's build. And Belovo is he's one that's played vampires a lot in the, in the past, right? No, he play, he plays straight mono black. Oh, he plays yeah, but he played the the vampires version, right? Like the no, version he played the, he played this version this of mono black. Okay. Uh, the other reason I want to talk about his version is he's one of the ones that has Blood Chief's Thirst in his deck. And this is a card that you and I both had is overrated. And we'll have to see if this is a card that continues to stay in these decks. But I'm, I'm going to wonder. I'm going to wonder. Because spending four mana as a sorcery to kill an Uro or kill an Omnath doesn't feel very good to me. Um, I'm still not firmly sold on it just yet. But there may not just be anything better at this rate. Yeah, I mean, he, he's certainly the, the... He is the... Um, what's the word I'm trying to think? Preeminent, uh, pilot of this deck. So if you're going to trust somebody's opinion on mono black aggro, it's Belova. And he's decided that Blood Chief's Thirst is still better than, you know, Heartless Act is usually the one they've been playing, uh, as the secondary removal spell. You do usually see one. Like you, you see now they're, he's at three Murderous Rider, three Fatal Push, three Blood Chief's Thirst. Before you would see four, four Rider push and then like one Heartless Act usually. So the number of removal spells is the same here. All he's done is tweak the numbers and said, you know, I, I just want to have six one-mana removal spells. And, you know, it, it it makes some sense here. You know, this deck wants to curve out, wants to use its mana, has plenty of things to use its mana on. So the cheaper your removal is, the better. Um, I know we both have this card as overrated, and we did it because uh, it, you know, overlaps too much with Fatal Push. You do still have Murderous Rider as your catch-all, and maybe that's enough, along with kicking Blood Chief Service, which is not ideal in this deck, but, you know, you're, you're happy to have the option. So, so, you know, maybe we just, um, maybe we overlooked that, that it's still just, you know, in a deck that already had a removal spell to that covered the uh, blind spot of Fatal Push, that you would just rather have the most efficient option available. 
No, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I am kind of surprised to see three push, three thirst instead of four two, right? Because before you would have four push, three like four rider, one heartless act. So you're at five removal spells that you know tag big creatures. Here now you've you've gone up to six. So maybe he thought he really wanted a sixth at the you know the downgrade from fatal push to thirst at one mana. You could also just be playing extra copies of it to make sure that he draws it and tries it out. I mean, that's not. Well, I guess you know it's it's a challenge. Whatever. I guess he, play, he yeah. plays a lot of them. So yeah, that that could definitely be it. That'll be, be something to watch for next week. Is does he still have that card in his deck? Yeah, exactly. And you can probably check his Twitter. I, I bet he, he's talking. He's about already talking about it. Yeah. The other notable thing is that the successful model black lists were were not playing sky clip shade. Right. There were so, like there was a ton of of these lists like eight and seven or something in the in the top thirty twos something uh like that oh eight and nine even more and I think the highest placing list that had Skyclave Shade in it was like twentieth place yeah I wasn't sure this is the deck that would necessarily you know take that card I thought it might be in a different kind of deck but it's something that could have showed up for sure but I, yeah I did see lists with both like you know two or three of each of Scrapheap Scrounger and Skyclave Shade I think they were on fewer three and four drops. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something I can kind of get behind. Uh, okay, okay. But so far, Skyclave Shade, not a great, uh, you know, opening weekend for it. Yeah. And uh, speaking of the other deck from the other decks from that weekend, if you go to the 20th, um, the decks that looked pretty cool and different in this one, uh, real quick before we get into some of those, I do want to say this. Only one Nib Delight made the top eight of these two tournaments. Uh, it kind of littered the top 16 of the other one, but that's a deck that I thought would just be good for Uro and Omnath, and we'll, we'll have to see. Maybe it starts to figure out the format a little better and it gets its cards correct or whatever but the decks that kind of stood out to me that were different well uh, there's there's nine niv decks across the two top 32s right yeah i'm just saying so like they didn't nine out of 64 yeah but they came like real, that that's a fine weekend for a deck that's always showing up like it's still good yeah of course uh if we look at the fifth place list i kind of wanted to talk about this one this is bant spirit a deck that you and i both said probably could come back and probably would start playing collect the company along with it and in the creature slot, I'm seeing four Skyclave Apparition, a card that we've both had as pretty high and pretty impactful by Tyobi0440. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, big fan of this card in this deck. Um, I think if this deck's going to compete, this is one of the ways that it needs to go. It needs to have this creature that also comes in and is an answer to these problematic permits like Omnath and Uro that are going to be, you know, prevalating the battlefield for the next couple years in this format unless something happens. Yeah, I'm 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 a big fan of this card. I I think it makes sense to trim on Herald. They're both you know, sort of your removal card, right? Um, and you also see zero copies of the the more the corset card, um, uh, Shacklegeist. So you know if if you had like six total slots for removal cards, it's it's now really being taken up by Apparition in this list. Makes a lot of sense to play it with Company. You still see that they've made some space for, for Lofty Denial, which I noted uh, when we talked about Lofty Denial that. It, it's going to be hard to play both it and company and still have a high enough creature count. And it, they've actually sort of, you know, juiced the deck with this one glass pool mimic as a land. This is effectively their 24th land, which is what the stock Bant spirits lists have. But it is a land that can also be, you know, an extra lord, an extra selfless spirit, an extra skyclave apparition. Not really great at copying spell queller because it's sorcery speed, but, um, you know, definitely a, a welcome addition here. Uh, this is something that. Maybe a card that we've overlooked. This could be a card that is good in, you know, humans decks that are playing, you know, be that phantasmal image effect, right? Especially if you're a company deck and get and copy, you know, Reflector Mage or Mantis Rider or Thales Lieutenant, all that, all that, 
uh, juicy stuff. But seeing some play here, I actually, there was a Bant, a straight up Bant company deck that was playing four of them. It's like Voice of Resurgence and, and just like Value Bant company. Uh, so th- this Glasspool Mimic, definitely a card that we both overlooked as well. And I, I think makes a lot of sense. This one I'm actually mad that I missed because I just completely missed it. I'm a big fan of it because it, it kind of fits the theme of the deck, right? Like it's another creature that, you know, snowballs are the other creatures that are doing well, right? Like he's, he's, it's kind of like a phantasmal image from humans in, in modern to give you a good like port over and how that works. But it's also an extra land in your deck. And I know you're a fan of some of these decks playing like one more land in them to make sure that they can cast their spells. And making sure the, the difference between Bant Spirits and Blue White Spirits is Bant Spirits always wants to get the four mana at the least. And Blue White is fine with staying at three. Yeah. Right. You know, they don't have to make their fourth land drop. And like, that is a big deal when you have this four mana card that you want to cast on turn four every game. So this is a spell that also helps you cast that because like, there's a lot of turn threes where you're not necessarily spending three mana in this deck and you can be able to spend two, play your land tapped. And then, you know, you're going to have four mana now on your turn four. So I, you know, I'm kind of mad I missed this too. And like, this is a thing that I could see myself playing a couple copies of in these decks. Yeah. For sure. I, I, I'm now expecting this card to increase in numbers. I bet that's a card that overperformed for people who played with it. Uh, and it, it just seems great to me. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm mad I overlooked it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the other decks that did well in the tournament, it's just labeled as blue, red, green or whatever. It's just like the blue, green ramp deck with, with red stuff. No real too many new cards in here, but a lot of, there were zero new cards. It, yeah. But, but a lot of cool a, things going on in the deck. It's the Eldrazi elder. It's an yeah. elder deep fiend deck. Elder yeah, deep fiend Kozlex return. Which is, is interesting, and I, I think we saw a lot of those decks, you know, in the early days of Pioneer, right? There was the the straight Is It one, and it with like lightning axes and stuff. And that that deck is obviously going to be as good as Kozlek's Return is, I think. You know, you don't want to be playing it in matchups where Kozlek's Return is bad, uh, though it's not, you know, uh, a lost cause. And if you look at these top eights, they're pretty aggressive because the the mana bases have helped out these aggressive decks. So Kozlek's Return was sneakily good this past weekend. And I wouldn't be surprised to see people start working on calls like return decks. Uh, like this, this specific list is a little all over the place to me. Oh yeah. Right? The number, there's just a lot of weird numbers, a lot of twos and threes. Yeah. That like aren't intuitive at all. So um, I'm not sure exactly what's going on here, uh, but I like the core of it. And this deck, you know, if you remember it from its time in standard, Casting Elder Deep Fiend and Wrathing your opponent's board is a, a really nice play. Uh, it's, so when that's uh, when that, that's going to be good, and it looks like it's going to be good, uh, you know, for a little while here, that that's something to to look out for as well. So this is another so, sort of wait and see. Uh, I would hopefully see you know a more refined list, but that definitely calls like return a, a sneaky good card for this past weekend because it matches up well against the decks that got a boost from Zendikar mm-hmm. Rising. And that's a really good point. You know, I might have to go dust off my Kozlek Returns and my Champion of Wits so I can, you know, start putting them back into this deck. I say that I don't really have any paper to play anytime soon, but yeah. you get what I'm saying. You get the, the point I'm trying to make here. Um, so those those were some cool decks that did well at the... Uh, can, can, at the can we talk about the Gruul list that actually won? We, we sure. mentioned Abu. Oh, yeah, that's right. We forgot, I forgot that we didn't actually talk. My bad. Yeah. We've got to skip over the, it. So the, it's, you know, a Gruul beatdown deck, but it's sort of an Atarka red deck. And the thing that... that I see when I look at this deck is a deck that is confused because on the one hand, it's a, you know, mana creature accelerate into really powerful threats ahead of the curve kind of deck and take over with them. And on the other hand, it's this go wide with cheap creatures, spread the battlefield and a Tarkus command you. 
And I get that, like, Legion Warboss and Goblin Rabblemaster are cards that play well in either strategy. Um, but I don't want to play Glorybringer in the same deck as Gallia of the Endless Dance. Those are not cards that play well together. So I think if you want to play a deck like this, you either have to really lean hard into the Atarkas Command, Emissary, Bushwhacker plan. Like, they're only, you're only playing two Reckless Bushwhackers. That should be a sign, like, that, you know, you're only going halfway into this plan. Reckless Bushwhacker is not a plan that you can go half-ass. So I, I want to play really hard into that plan, which is a deck that I actually played a, a several months ago in Pioneer, like six months ago at this point, when I just started streaming. And the deck was pretty good, but the mana was not good. So I'm excited to try that deck out again with Crag Crown Pathway. It was essentially mono-red, splashing for Gallia and Atarkas Command. And... Uh, you played like red. You played red one drops like Fire Drink Crusader, Rakdos Cackler, Bomat Courier, um, stuff like that, and then Burning Tramissary, four Bushwhacker. You had four Gorkline Rampager to get through blockers, um, and played Anax. Now, I, I always kind of wanted to lower the curve even more and be super linear, but Anax was pretty neat in the deck, both as a way of mitigating um, sweepers. You played an Ember Cleaver too, that it was obviously great with, but Fire Drink Crusader is a Seder. So it gave that plus one plus one in haste. And the the tokens that An or Gallia gave gave uh Fire Drinker Seder plus one plus one in haste. And the tokens that Annex makes are satyrs. So Gallia pumps them as well. So it gave you some extra Gallia synergy, which was neat. But that's a deck that I want to work on. And they, like you see half of that deck here, but then you see the like the big rule deck that we actually saw a lot of back when Once Upon a Time was in the format, around the time of the invitational last November. And that's the deck where you want Bone Cursor Giant, Questing Beast, Glorybringer, and Mana Creatures. So I kind of see two decks mashed into one that don't fit super well, but the cards are powerful enough and your mana is good enough now that is still able to have significant success. So I think Gruul is going to be uh, a big player in, in the coming weeks in Pioneer. And that's a pretty big like feather in its cap, right? That you think that this isn't even its, near its final form, right? Like the deck might need to go one way or go the other and it won this tournament. You know, and like all of this because a pathway made the mana much better. You know, and I got to say this, it makes sense, right? Like, you get this land that lets you cast stuff like Land War Elves on one way more consistently because every time that I've seen this deck played with it or played against it, untapped green mana on one has always been its, like, Achilles heel. Because when you look at it, like, if you didn't have Pathway here, you're looking at six forest, uh, Rubound Crag to get done in, the, in these stomping grounds. I will say this, I watched Todd play this deck, and it felt pretty good. He hated the Rootbound Crag. He said it screwed him multiple times in, in, in just one league or whatever that he played. And so, like, maybe there's some kind of thing you could change there. Maybe it should just be a, um, what's the deal you want, you know, tap for any color? Uh, mana Confluence. Point. Yeah, maybe it should just be a Mana Confluence at this point. Uh, yeah, just to, I, just honestly, to... I, I think Todd might have just caught some variants there. One Rupert Crag with 16 lands, and it's literally your only land that enters tapped on turn one. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking that might have... Might have been a bit of variance. I would be okay with one. My biggest issue with this mana base is that it's a 6-6 six, six split on basics because of the way the deck is constructed. And that's another thing. Like I, when I build these decks, I want to be nearly mono color splashing the second and have almost all my basics of one color, if not all of them. Kind of like the way that the Aura's decks are built. Like That's what I want my mana base to look like, even if I have to include mana confluences at that point. Okay. Um, so... Uh, you know, that's another consequence of the way they have their deck built. I think the 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 mana creature version of this deck is probably playing like Lovestruck Beast and Four Questing Beast and is a little bit greener. 
but though it will play Glorybringer and Embercleave, but those are like the cards you play at the very end of the curve, so you can, you know, hold off on getting double red for a little while, and then skew your mana base a little bit more green, and then you have really consistent turn one elves. And that's another benefit, you know, when you build the, the mana creature version of this deck, it's more green heavy, that helps your mana, lets you get your mana creatures down to turn one more consistently. The other version is, you know, heavy one drops, red heavy, and that helps you, you know, play triple one drop uh, on the first two turns of the game, which is what that deck wants to be doing, unless it's, you know, casting Burning Tramissary, uh Bushwhacker. Okay, makes sense. Now, I know there was a couple other decks that you want to talk about that didn't necessarily show up in these... Uh... The f- we missed one from the first challenge, Danny. What's that? You're going too fast for me here. It's the 12th place, 14th place list from the first challenge. There's oh, I just bo- yeah, straight up. Yeah, the okay. Boris Hammer. For the people that... Oh, uh, yeah, it's Hammer Time. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about this. Tom Ross has uh, devised the Hammer Time deck in Modern, and it's basically Boris Infect, right? You just, instead of Infect Creature Pump Spell, it's Double Strike Creature and Hammer, and a million ways to, like, find the Hammer. You know, that, that deck, in that deck, because you get, you know, Modern Card Pool, you get to play Steel Shaper's Gift, you know, one mana, two different equipment. You get to play, uh, there's a red instant from Fifth Dawn that's just attached in equipment to a creature at instant speed. Now you get to upgrade that into the white plus two plus two and attach at instant speed from Zendikar Rising. So that's sweet. That's a card that I think this deck should should be playing because it's Pioneer Legal. And the only card in the deck that lets you attach a Colossus Hammer is Sigardazade. So the, the, this list as constructed is really dependent on finding Sigardazade. That's why you see things like Thrill of Possibility, which is pretty bad. I would like to see four crash-throughs because I think giving your things trample is pretty important. Um I guess Swiftblade Vindicator already has Trample, but Pouncer doesn't, Fireblade Charger doesn't. Um, so I've, and, you know, just Cheap Cantrip is nice. Open the Armory, great. But basically, we're just, you know, trying to find a hammer and put it on a Double Striker. Fireblade Charger kind of counts. Because, you know, if they're going to kill it, then they're probably going to take 11 when it dies, and they took 11 when you attacked. Also, you know, pretty cool that it has haste. So you can go turn one Zagardazade, turn two Fireblade Charger, Colossus Hammer, equip it. It has haste. Attack you for 11 you know, kill my, if you don't have an exile way or to kill this, you're dead or a bounce spell for the charger. But I, I think that the one thing I'm, I'm thinking is whatever that trick is called, it's, it's one white, give plus two plus two to a creature and you can attach an equipment you control to it. Um, that's something I would want. I also kind of want to have like some equipment that gives evasion. Like you have God's willing is both protection and a way to get through blockers. I guess for the most part, like shadow spear gives trample. So maybe that that's good enough because it also lifelinks when you need that. I was thinking of maybe playing a Maul, Maul of the Skyclaves. Uh, I mean, like, Crash Through does a small thing of evasion as well, right? Like, Yeah. I just really want to cut Thrill of Possibility because that card fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah, I, I, honestly I think I see that. I honestly think Team Rebe- Yeah, all your all your creatures have mostly have Double Strike anyway, 8 out of the 12 of them. So I think these Team or Battle Rages are kind of bad, too. I think cutting these 6 for 2 Crash Through and 4 of that trick, plus 2, plus 2, and, and equip, so you have more ways to equip is great. Not sure if you even have room in a main deck chain or you need more synergy pieces, but if you main deck a removal spell, Chain to the Rocks is definitely the one you want. But this is, this is just a neat new deck. Love, love me some hammer time. Yeah, I uh, I always think these decks are, are cute, right? Like, I have, a, I have a local that loves this kind of stuff. He plays it in Modern. He, he plays that deck, and he's like, yeah, my deck's like a 20th of the cost of everybody else's, and I'm still winning games. And so he just... He loves to hammer people, you know, and like he actually says it's hammer time. Like every time he, you know, he has like little catchphrases that he does with it and stuff. So this deck uh, is twenty nine tickets on Moto, and almost eleven of that is from the Lurus as a game. Yeah. And then Inspiring Vantage is nine for the set. On this is what Goldfish says. 
and Cigar is eight is four for the set. Yeah, Sacred Foundry is two fifty. It's a little like it, it's those cards are the only expensive cards in the entire deck. The entire deck is under thirty tickets, um, but it, it is definitely very popular. Seems like a deck that would be very good against Reclamation, a deck that just doesn't have a lot of interaction, and you just get to run them over. Um, you know, even their sideboard interaction is not great. So I, that's probably a big point in the deck's favor. Uh, Mono Black Aggro, probably not a great matchup. I remember being pretty, like, this deck feels to me uh, quite a bit like in Soul, though the fact that you could one-shot kill is definitely really nice. It makes it harder for your opponent to tap out. You have to grind a little less, yeah. Yeah, a lot of the time, you know, if you're playing against in Soul, you're like, okay, I can take one hit for five and then kill their their thing, and then I'm going to hold up removal because I don't want to take the second hit for five and die to double shrap blast. Uh, here, like, you really just have to never take the first hit. So that actually helps a lot against decks like Mono Black because it, it stops them from being able to put as much pressure on you as they would otherwise like to. Or, you know, you know, maybe it's sometimes right for them to do that, but, you know, some portion of the games you're going to be able to make them pay and, and just kill them on the, on the back swing. So. Yeah, it's very much like a combo deck, right? Like, it just has oh, that, yeah. like, oops, it, I it's, you. It's Boris Infect. Yeah. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Boris Infect. I like yeah. that a lot. Oh, yeah. And that's why Tom built it. He, he's built Boris Infect. <laughs> why am I not surprised? Cynic Infect, Boris Infect, you know, Phyrexian, when is Phyrexian Crusader going to get gonna get their love? Yeah, we'll see. But speaking of decks getting their love, I know you really had your eye caught on some of these new decks that have shown up, and they've been doing pretty well in the leagues that have been going on in Pioneer. And the first one I want to talk about is one of the ones that we alluded to earlier in the show is uh, Oops All Spells is what people are calling it right now, because this deck technically has no lands in it. Uh, the only lands in the deck are the new modal spells. So uh, this deck checks off the box of new cards because, boy, does this have a lot of cards from Zendikar in it. Because <laughs> yeah. you're looking at uh, Beyond, Ve- uh, Beyond Veil, Jawari Disruption, Shatterfield Smashing, uh, Adigam's Awakening. Uh, I'll say there's there's more, right? I'm missing. The, you They're know, just the, playing almost all of them. It's literally just playing all of them, yeah. yeah all the blue, the, black, you know, red ones. It's, it's a Demi- Well, it's a Demir deck. They're playing a couple of Shatterfield Smashings just to have more untapped lands and for fame in case that's relevant. Um, so the red one is defensible, but it's really just a Demir deck. So playing almost as many, you know, Demir modal double face cards as they can and playing Balistrade Spy and Undercity Informer. These are the, you know, classic Oops All Spells cards for four mana with either one. You get to mill your entire deck because you don't have any lands to hit. In this case, we're hitting four Prized Amalgam, three Silver Smoke Ghoul, and um, what are the cards that are... Uh, I guess, yeah, you're hitting four Creeping Chills, Returning the ghouls because of the chills, though that returns the amalgam. So you get seven three-power creatures and drain them for 12, unless some of them are in your opening hand. But that's the ceiling of what you can do uh, on turn four, right? And, you know, that's your plan. Now you do have to be able to uh, kill them. And if you've milled yourself, that's hard. So we see two copies of World Spine Worm, which because of its, you know, replacement effect will go back in your library. So your library at the end of this is going to be two World Spine Worms. So you're going to get two attacks in. And you got to kill them in those two attacks. Should be pretty easy. They're eight. You have 21 power in play. If they have a, a sweeper, there's one haunted dead in the deck. So you can at least get back the haunted dead and return the four amalgams and hopefully get one more attack in with them. So you kind of, uh, you force them to have two things. And then if they have some way to really stop you from attacking, we see four copies of Thassa's Oracle and four copies of Claim to Fame. So if either of those eight cards are in your hand, you're able to go off with the understanding that you can either cast Thassa's Oracle or claim it and bring it back when your library is low enough that that will win the game as well. So you have this neat way to win outside of combat because of those eight cards in addition to your normal combat plan. 
But the deck is very straightforward. It's literally just cast one Undercity Informer Balistrate Spy on turn four and win the game on turn five as much as possible. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool, right, that while you said it's straightforward, it does have these all, all these other working parts that you kind of mentioned. Like, you know, if they can stop you this way, then you have this. And if they do this, then you have that kind of yeah. thing. So you, you have two plans, really. Uh, and that's often good enough. And we've seen that, like, the graveyard hate in this format right now, the, the way that it's been going on, not good enough against this a lot of times. Like, we're not seeing a lot of rest in peace right now. You know, we may be seeing some Tomahawk scripts, but a lot of people are playing, like, scavenging yos and stuff like that right now to combat Uro, you know, and, like, cage and stuff. And so, like... Cling to dust. Yeah, cling to dust. Like that. Stuff that's a little slower and doesn't necessarily stop this deck from going yeah. off all in one turn. Those are the those are the kind of graveyard interactive spells that are good against things like Uro, like single cards in the graveyard that you know that are ubiquitous, but is not as nearly as good against the dedicated graveyard deck. Those are those are cards that are good against graveyard cards, not cards that are good against graveyard decks. That that's the distinction to draw there. Uh, so that's going to be helpful for this deck. Doesn't really have interaction, and that's I think going to be a problem. Obviously, this is the kind of deck that I'm sure took people by surprise on week, you know, week one. People are going to, you know, metagame is going to react to it. You're going to see some hate cards for it. You're going to see people figure out how, how to, you know, how to combat it, which means if you're going to play a deck like this, you know, you've got to try, try to stay ahead and one up them. And there is some room to, to interact a little bit. You know, you can cast the, the front side of the double face cards. You can cast Jwari Disruption and force spike your opponent. You know, maybe later in the game, you hog them all in one of their creatures so you can, you know, get through. And Salindi uh, Vision lets you, you know, look at, dig for an instant or sorcery, which uh, it would be nice if you had some sort of instant or sorcery that found you Undercity Informer Balustrade Spy, but you don't. It does dig for Claim Fame, which is nice. So uh, this is the kind of deck that, you know, you're going to win a lot of games just on turn five, but if you want to maximize it, you got to know how to get scrappy. You got to know how to win games where you're like sacrificing Silver Smoke Ghoul to draw cards and, you know, then triggering and bringing them back for value with Creeping Chill, some or like the hard casting Creeping Chill, because your opponent, you know, did, you know, did a, bu- a bunch of weird stuff. But uh, one of the downsides here is as a Demir deck, you don't really have like answers to the common graveyard hate. There, there is the new black enchantment removal spell, which I'm kind of surprised not to see in this deck sideboard. But I guess Rest in Peace is just so unpopular that it doesn't matter. Yeah, maybe, you know, like, we'll see the future that if Rest in Peace starts showing up again. Because, like, honestly, there's not a lot of white decks out there either. You know what I mean? Like, we always joke about white being one of the most underplayed car, uh, colors in the format. So there's not a lot of decks that are casting that card. Yeah. You, you do see four Perilous Voyage in the sideboard. It's just a, a universal bounce spell. And the good thing is this deck gets the job done in one shot. So if you go end a turret bounce that Rest in Peace, you know, you can untap, cast your Informer or Spy, and then the Rest in Peace doesn't matter. So that's that's a nice thing about this deck. Um, so maybe that's maybe because you're such a one shot all in deck, all you do need is bounce spells. That would make sense to me. Yeah, it makes sense. And then, I, I mean, I'm a fan of these decks. I think they're cool. We'll see if it's just a flash in the pan, or if it, you know, like if the format, you know, makes it to where. Because the thing is, if they start getting good, right? Then all of a sudden, everyone just has enough hate for you in the sideboard, and we'll have to see how it plays through that. Like you said, it doesn't have a ton of interaction for this for the stuff. That are, that's coming in, so we'll have to see what happens in the future if the deck well, has to change a little bit or whatever. But it, you can already see that there's a, a list from the most recent league dump. You know, the first list was from the first league dump that, that we had. We've had a second one since then. And if you look at the second list from Tech Ninja 701, this list is playing Thought Erasure and Thoughtseize in the main deck to give it some interaction. 
It's playing a lot of creatures that are molded off of his cards. We see Glasspool Mimic and Black Bloom Rogue. So you're able to just win through discard spells by being a bad aggro deck. Um, you know, also Palaka. Did the other one have Palaka Predation? Yeah, okay. But, the, you know, Palaka Predation combines well with all the other discard spells in your deck. Uh, you also see one main deck into the Royal that you can dig to to, you know, find. You know, so an answer in, in the main deck if, if, you know, you're playing against like, um, uh, mono green planeswalkers and they, you know, Karn for Tormont script or something like that. Uh, so that's nice to have in the main. So we're already seeing this deck adapt and still having success here, at least in leagues. Hopefully we'll see it start to have success in challenges. Uh, but definitely something to watch out for and is just super fucking sweet. I, I know a lot of people hate these, like, you know, Belcher-style decks, but this, to me, is just the pinnacle of magic, where you can have decks come together in such weird ways, interact in these novel ways that that are just so non-traditional and something that was completely unintended, but is still really cool. Like, there's no... This deck is never going to take over Pioneer. So, like, you don't have to be worried about that. It's going to be... It's not like Oops All Spells and Belcher and Legacy where you're just dying on turn one, either. Like, you have some time to set up and race them and, you know, play a game of Magic. Uh, but uh, I'm just so happy to see people really pushing the modal double face cards because I definitely knew that they were going to, you know, shift how we build the decks. Uh, I, I didn't necessarily have stuff like this in mind, but I'm, I'm glad to be seeing it along with, you know, the Belcher deck in Modern. I'm sure there's going to be Oops All Spells in Modern as well. That one will be a little bit more degenerate with the fast mana that's available in that format. But I, I might, am personally just super happy to see decks like this. Yeah, it's something that I, I had mentioned too with like looking at these cards. I thought some deck like this would crop up in Pioneer. And I also said like, I wouldn't be surprised if Belcher started popping up in Modern. And it is. We're starting to see Belcher decks starting to you know, be better in Modern Vintage and stuff like that. Because now, like now you can actually run decks that just don't have lands in them, but do have lands. So you can do all kinds of funky, cool stuff with these new things. Anytime a new design space gets uh, explored in Magic, it breaks something in the older formats, right? Like there's, like you said, there's always some deck that like this was not the intended purpose, but this is what's going to happen with this card. And uh, I'm not surprised when it does, and it's really cool when it does. You know, what I mean, you see some, you see some really sweet stuff. So excited to see that. Speaking of sweet stuff, uh, the last deck that we wanted to talk about today, this one's a little near and dear to your heart because this is something you've been trying to make happen in Pioneer for quite a while, and. While it's not necessarily exactly that deck, this is just a human's deck in Pioneer. Like when you think of the human's deck in Modern, but this one's more centered around party. Yeah, it's a human party here from a newspaper. This is also from the most recent deck dump. And I know I had Archpriest of Iona on my top eight list. I talked about it slotting into human's decks. Uh, Reflector Mage being a wizard was really important because that's the hardest you know type to hit. Uh, and somebody is already starting to do it and... The base here is black-white, and I think that's the way you have to go in Pioneer. I think going for a collected company when you're trying to party is really great because you just need to flood the battlefield with bodies, and you need to dig to find the right, you know, creature types. So we're going into green for company and a couple other creatures and going dabbling into blue, mainly for Reflector Mage, but also Rogue Refiner. You know, just a solid rogue here. I, I honestly, I want to be playing Rogue Refiner and... Um, what was the the good dark confidant that had energy glint sleeve siphoner? Glint sleeve siphoner, yeah. Isn't that a uh, a rogue? That I'm not 100 percent on. I, 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 I feel like this card is. was a rogue. Um, yeah, it is a human rogue. I cannot believe this card is not in the deck because I want I want ether hub in the deck too as a five color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to be playing rogue refiner, glint sleeve siphoner, ether hub. So I would be playing ether hub over or uh, glint sleeve siphoner over acquisitions expert here. 
you know, instead of the, I think expert, you know, it's an okay card, but it's mainly here because it's a rogue and siphoner is just a better card. Um, I don't, you know, on rate acquisitions experts is not a very good card. So that, that's the first change I would make if I was playing this deck, but the rest of it looks really sweet. I think As Lunark Aspirant, just a powerful card. There's another new one. Hamlet Captain is a warrior, which is sweet, gives you another anthem effect. I think, you know, Gust Walker, I think is pretty clearly the result of them Googling every human wizard in Pioneer. So, and, somebody went to Gatherer and did a deep dive. Yeah. And honestly, like, if this is the one you have to play a couple of just to get a, a couple extra wizards, it's not a bad one. You know, it gives you some, a little bit of, of it gets of the fun. job done. Yeah. Right? It gets, the, it gets matters. the job done. Uh, you know, for those of you who played Amonkhet Limited, it certainly got the job done in that format. Oh, yeah, it did. Um, so I, I like the way this deck is built. I think it, um, I also like the two Agadim's Awakenings. It seems great in this deck. You're not going to, you know, cast it that often, but the one Urborg is a nod to those. It also lets you, um, you know, tilt the rest of the mana base away from black when you have the Awakenings and the Urborg. You do see a couple pathways here. You see one copy of blue-black and one copy of green-white. Honestly, I think you could see more than that in addition to the Unclaimed Territories, but... Four Unclaimed ter Territory, four Mana Confluence, and I'd want to be leaning into some number of Ether Hubs. That's enough five-color lands to make the mana base work, along with Pathways and Fast Lands. You know, you've got a lot of options for that mana base, so that's something to really, you know, look into when building the stack. You know, it's hard for me to evaluate that offhand, but it, these numbers look pretty reasonable to me. I would be trying hard not to play the full four Confluence. That's quite a bit. And when you're a Collected Company deck, you do have some ability to play some Attrition games, you also have, you know, Rogue Refiner and Bloodsoak Champion coming back. So you, you want the ability to play that game without taking too much damage. Uh, but overall, th this is this is a good direction. I like what this is what this is doing. I think the human deck just like didn't have a lot of great one drops. I honestly want to play the full eight. There's only two Bloodsoak Champion here, but for Archpriest of Iona, Bloodsoak Champion is a great set of one drops to start with. You know, you got your multiple anthems. You got a little bit of interaction. Actually, I have a ton of anthems in this deck between Hamlet Captain, Thalys Lieutenant, General Kudro, and Luminarch Aspirant, which is, you know, a similar kind of effect. So this is a deck that is going to create some pretty significant battlefields. And then you can start jumping them with Archpriest once you, you know, full on party. I'm, I'm in. I'm in for this deck. Yeah, this is definitely a deck that I would play. I've, I've played humans at a big event before and really enjoyed that kind of deck before. Um, this doesn't have the same disruptive element to it that the other one does, but like you said, a lot more anthem effects. It just gets the job done a lot quicker. It kills yeah. a lot faster. I think this the the amount of reach that this one has and the fact of killing your opponent faster is going to surprise people who are used to playing against the kind of speed out of the human's deck, where it's maybe a tiny bit slower but way more disruptive. Yeah, you know, the cards and, and modern humans has to be disruptive because of the combo decks that exist in that format. Mm -hmm. Not so much here. You yeah. know, you got a little bit of graveyard hate. Uh, I kind of agree with you on the acquisitions expert. Like the card just seems to me like a lot of times might just be a glorified ravenous rats. Yeah. You know? it, it, I, honestly, it seems to me like they noticed it was a rogue and were like, yeah, this, this will just be my kite self rebooter. Right. Because that's yeah. in the modern version and didn't search for other rogues. Yeah. yeah maybe, you know, maybe maybe they're trying yeah. it out or whatever, but this deck is really cool. I like it a lot. And this is something I could see myself playing with in the future. So super excited by this one. I, I also really like this deck sideboard, by the way. Yeah. So I think Fatal Push and Tire Tactics are the two removal spells you want. Tactics oh, yeah. is so flexible, great in this deck. I think a couple rest in peace, you know, just really good graveyard hate. I must I would be playing Skyclave uh, Apparition over Deputive Detention, personally. That's the one change I would make. Um 
but you know, I, I think that effect is welcome. Night of Autumn solid. Sin Collector, I love. Sathard Necromancer, I think is great. Not really sold on this Ozolith. Really only good once you've already cast Lieutenant, right? And on a couple other ones, but yeah. Yeah, so that's the one card in the sideboard I'm, I'm not a fan of, but the rest of them I think are all great. I, I will definitely be trying this deck out. Yeah, I can't wait to watch you stream this one, actually. I'm super yeah. excited to watch that. Um, I did actually want to move us on to the next thing because I want to make sure that we can get a lot of this mailbag done because I'm super excited by some of these questions in the mailbag. Yeah, we got a big we got a, a big sack of mail. All right. Anyway. Ready to beat you over the head with our big mail sack. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we're going to do that so point of the night, I what's guess. The, what's the first one for this week? Uh, so we got Revan Christ asking, what makes a card like Steel Leaf Champion not be played? It dodges Fatal Push and Anger of the Gods and challenges Mono Green Walkers, Chump Blockers. So the big thing here is, yeah, Steel Leaf Champion as a card might be good, but is the decks, are the decks that it goes in good? That's the real problem. There's a lot of powerful cards in Magic's history that, whose only sin was existing in a format that didn't have a good home for them. And when Steel Leaf Champion had a good home in Pioneer, it saw a lot of play. Those decks were very popular six, seven months ago when Oko was around and they were Simic. We also saw Gruul versions back when Once Upon a Time was around. But when you lost those cards, you really became a kind of, uh, you became an aggro deck that wasn't disruptive or consistent enough. It didn't have either of, the, of those attributes in a significant enough quantity to compete with the rest of the metagame. Yeah, makes sense. And and Steel of Champion is an aggro card. You know, it's pretty linear in what it does. Like, it, even though it's a green, green, green card, you're never going to want to play it in Mono Green Devotion, for example. Like, you'd much rather play Jade Light Ranger, make your land drops, filter, find your big threats, because that's an over-the-top deck. Steel of Champion is the card that you want to play on turn two, after a mana creature, follow it up with a questing beast, and get your opponent dead. Yeah, I think you kind of nailed it there. I don't see how I'm going to add anything else to, the, to, to this whatever. That deck's going to need some like powerful form of interaction or another way to increase its consistency to you know come back around. That's what yeah. it is. And you can see some of our questions are going to be kind of like catching up. Like I almost kind of want to like skip the next question because I feel like we've covered this so much from Keon. It says, what cards ask them, uh, add the most to current tier one and two decks? Will any archetype become relevant with the new set? We've kind of covered all this and it kind of feels like we'd be like, we saw the future and went back. If, if you haven't, li- Keon, if you haven't listened to the set review show yet, we, we actually talk about, you know, basically answer this question a lot in that show. Uh, you know, that's already up right now for everybody. Um, and you can listen to it there. So that's the, that, that'll have that, the answer to that question. And then, you know, new archetype that became relevant is just, you know, four color Omnath. Same as in standard. Uh, the next question, uh, this one is from Cody, Abzan Battlebreast. If you were to play D&D or do play in D&D, what class would you do? Uh, what class would you uh, do you like the most? So what are the D&D classes? I honestly don't know. I think it has a lot to do with party for magic. It's, it's yeah, based yeah. on D&D. Here, I, while I you're thinking for two seconds, I've never played the game and don't know how to play it. But I'm good friends with Ruben Bressler, who is involved with D&D over at Wizards and does a lot of... Uh, dungeon mastering and stuff like that like he's like pretty high up he's on a lot of the twitch shows and stuff and so i messaged him and i asked him i was like hey like what would i what would i do and his answer was you'd like a cha based character uh the best entry level one is warlock i think you'd have fun with eldritch eldritch bladting i i, I don't know what any of this means is, is is the problem but that's what my answer is so hopefully that answers your your question cody sorry i'm, I'm looking up uh I'm looking up classes. I'm just going to go by the ones that are listed under basic rules, which are Barbarian, Bard, 
cleric, druid, fighter, monk, I'd be paladin, a fighter. ranger, rogue, sorcerer, warlock, and wizard. Yeah, I'd be a fighter. I'm I'm kind of in for rogue and and sorcerer, maybe a little wizard. I can I'm, do I'm, I'm less less of the fighting. I like doing the the finesse kind of stuff. So I'm gonna be in one of those those kind of categories. I think at, you know if I played it, I've never played D&D either. Obviously, if I don't know anything about it, but uh, if I were to do that, I would probably play like those characters a little bit, and then I would just like get tired of being so squishy and just be like, okay, give me a fucking like barbarian or something. I'm yeah, I would. I want to be a fighter, and I want to be like a night elf or whatever they're called, whatever uh, whatever Dritz was. And I'd want to do that. that. That's the character I want to be. So uh, the next question is another one that we can skim over really fast. Is like, do you expect to see Pathway Lands to see play in formats like Modern Pioneer? Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, BDJ asks, if Twitch allowed music again, what would you be listening to? Funny thing is, I started not giving a shit and playing music anyway again on Twitch. And I know Ditto. You yeah. So um, what would I be listening to? A lot of, uh, a lot of like poppy punky stuff. I, I have a pretty wide range but the stuff that I do the most to play the most is stuff like uh, Fall Out Boy, uh, Panic at the Disco, and then some stuff that was big when like I was in high school and early college, more of my stuff. I also like a lot of 90s music, like I was a big 311 fan, Pearl Jam, you know, that grunge kind of scene. I was into that stuff. And then a big range for other things as well. Also, I'm a big fan of good covers. So a lot of covers. So stuff am I. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I listen. I also like you know have a pretty wide range. My stuff, like most of my music, is like pretty rooted in the like folk country side of things. And bluegrass, yeah, yeah, and bluegrass, and that. But then you just get like that, you know, sprinkling in of like '70s soul music and Motown, and you get a little bit of classic rock, and you get a little bit of like blues rock. I love the Black Keys and. Uh, stuff like that. So that that all that stuff all gets peppered in, but it, it always kind of circles back to you know Appalachian mountain music. Mm-hmm. All now right. I live in Roanoke. Yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of the next question and the follow up question that comes with it because we're gonna have a little bit of a story time here. We're gonna have some good some good uh, answers to this one. It's, this one's from uh, how would you pronounce his name? Uh, Karenol. Karenol. Yeah, I was gonna say. Uh, it's, it's a lot of upper and lowercase letters. It's hard, I'm far away from my screen right now. So. Could be Karen Olay. Yeah, Karen Olay. I like that one too. It's what's a memorable? I think I screwed up deck that you've registered for a high level event. Um. So the most memorable. There's a, there's definitely a most memorable, and it was my second Pro Tour. Okay. This is Pro Tour Philadelphia in September, I believe, but it might have been August. I think it was September of 2011. This was the first modern Pro Tour. Keep in mind, they announced Modern as a format like three weeks before this Pro Tour. Yeah. Three or like four, maybe. Like not much time. And with with a pretty substantial ban list. And so we had to, you know, figure out a completely new format. And I, I was testing with like two other people. And all we were doing was like looking at what was, do, what was being played in daily events. This is before leagues on MTGO. And the most popular and successful deck was this mono green like you know different variants of sort of a mono green eldrazi ramp deck and we started crushing the deck with affinity and so we like you know just got you know a pretty typical affinity list that topped out at a couple tezzeret agent of bolus right but ultimately like pretty fair affinity deck but we were crushing it the deck looked sweet 
We ended up uh, talking and uh, communicating with a group of players from Minnesota. This is actually the first time I met Matthias Hunt. <laughs> was uh, and we they all got in the night before we had been in for uh th- for most of that week because we had played the uh, pr- the GP the week before in Pittsburgh and then just gone over to Philadelphia and just stayed in the hotel for a week and we hadn't communicated while testing but we agreed to start to like share everything you know the night before and that would give us you know a lead to you know see where we agree and disagree and both groups had independently come to essentially the same deck, like within a, a very small number of cards, probably 70 so, of so the 75. So you're feeling good. So you're feeling yeah. good at this point. So we felt good going in. And then I got twin comboed round one by, by Chapin and everybody else was just getting crushed by like storm, just dying on turn three. It's like, well, I had a turn four kill on the draw and they killed me on turn three on the play. And it's like, yeah, I don't think our deck is dege- degenerate enough. And this is one of the fastest pro tours of all time. Like some of the least oh, yeah. amount of turns ever played. It was called PT Goldfish. Yeah. You know, the, you you would play these, con- the like, the I think the best performing decks were the Pyromancer Ascension Storm decks. Uh, that actually one with like Empty the Warren's Bushwhacker. Uh, like they, they just went, were insane. And there was the Infect deck that Sam Black played yeah, with, with, with Blazing, Blazing Shoal. Shoal. Yeah. And Blazing the, Shoal there were people still playing the Emrakul deck. But the ones that did well, and I think the one person who top aided, they were playing through the breach as a way to be faster. And they were, that was the first time you ever saw Amulet of Vigor in a competitive environment because Cloud Post was legal. And that was the thing. They, they were mono green, like Cloud Post ramp decks. Cloud Post, super powerful card, is now banned in modern for a reason. But they were playing it with Amulet. And that's how they were, you know, messing people up, uh, generating just a ton of mana and going off really quickly. So they were like turn three in their Emrakul. So like every deck just got, had to get turbocharged. And we actually just like played a normal affinity deck. The one person who did, or the person who did best with affinity in that tournament was Shikara Nakajima, who either lost in top eight or took ninth. It was something like that. I can't remember, but they were playing a, a, a essentially mono red affinity version deck with fling and Atog. So again, yeah. killing you on turn three. Turn two, Atog, turn three, like play some artifacts, sack four, four of them, five of them, attack you two for 11, fling it at you. So you just had to be something like that. And we were just an eminently fair affinity deck. I ended up losing to a bunch of other people playing fair decks, which was also like annoying because those were decks that we just didn't expect. Like I got damnationed in round five to yeah. go one, four and be eliminated from the tournament. Back then you had to five, three day one to make day two. I actually did my one match win was in the 03 bracket. So about like if I lose them out and we go to game three and I mold to four. And I, so I'm like, I won that. I was like, I'm feeling good. The draft format was M12. I was really good at that format. Uh, you know, I'd cash a GP earlier. I did, uh, you know, I three would one of my drafts at nationals, uh, in that same format. It was a very aggressive limited format. So, you know, played to my strengths. So I was like, just get me to the draft. And then I just got fucking like damnationed out by a, just an absent rock deck in round five. It was just like clearly horrible for that tournament, but beat up on affinity. Um, I lost to like elf combo. Um, that mold of four, by the way, was me beating a Boros deck, which somehow we had identified as our worst matchup. I don't really know how or why, because it was also unplayable. But as a result, I had two Phyrexian Crusaders in my affinity sideboard. Just going deep to beat other unplayable decks, and I yeah. strapped a cranial plating to it in game three after hey, balling to four. <laughs> Can you imagine how my opponent felt though? I'd be so like, mad. They're going to game three back against the wall at this Pro Tour. Opponent Mulligans to four. They're playing Affinity, and then you lose to cranial plating on Phyrexian Crusader with your Boros deck. Yeah, I'd be I don't even an Affinity deck. 
Yeah. Not like mono black affinity. Like I was, I just had five color lands. Like it was kind of tough to cast. It was not a good deck. Yeah. I think one out of both groups. I think one person made day two. Um, one of the ones that sticks out for me is not necessarily, um, when I looked at the deck that I played, it's like, I screwed up when I think back at like the process at which got me to the deck that I played, I knew that I screwed up and was really mad at myself where, um, this is back when I didn't get to play as much, you know, I didn't get to play on the big, big scene as much, you know, I'd make a couple of pro tours a year. I'd show up to a few opens that like, I'd go to the open in Dallas cause it was drivable or whatever. Right. Yeah. And I remember like a week or two before uh, either the open got one or it had done really well was uh it was the unveiling of the blue white flash deck which to this day is my favorite standard deck of all time you know like snapcaster was, Restoration, uh, adam prozac know. right adam prozac yeah i was gonna say that. adam prozac unveiled the deck right and i remember testing it and thinking this is my shit like this deck is the most my shit a deck has ever been right yeah you know that like and i was like this 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 is me i love this and i was crushing with it right and I thought that it would be a super popular deck that we because I was like testing the mirror and I was like really good in the mirror and I found myself beating other decks. So in testing, I found a deck that could beat the blue white deck. And I'm like, yeah, like I'm beating the blue white deck a lot. Like I'm doing really well. It's like this really metagame deck. I ended up registering it for the tournament. I did not day two and I played against zero blue white decks or blue white flash decks in the entire tournament. Blue white easily won the tournament that weekend. Right. And had I just played the blue white deck, I, I like, Give myself a chance to win the tournament. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, I've, I've classically done this. You've, you've been a teammate of mine and, and done this where I'm usually trying to be like a week ahead of the metagame game where yeah. I should just be on time. You leveled yourself. Yeah. What, what was the deck you found that beat blue white? It was like this weird Naya deck or something. I can't remember. It had like some uncounterable stuff. And the deck like, that ended up really pushing blue white, you know, away was the Rakdos, you know, Hellrider Thunderbolt Hellkite yeah. deck that also had Cavern. So that wasn't it yet, and honestly, I'm kind of glad you brought this up because I'm going to mention that deck again with one of the next answers to another question or whatever, yeah. um, but uh, I ended up, you know, just making sure that I never made that mistake again in the future. You've seen me try to do it. Like, I remember one of my top eights uh, where I played mono blue, uh, the mono blue aggro deck in standard, you know, two years ago or a year and a half ago, whatever it was, uh, the deck that you and I liked a lot. Is like, I almost leveled myself out of not playing that one because I was like, oh, people are going to be ready for this. Like, people know it's the best deck, and I'm like well, why don't I just play it? Because it's the best deck. And then I did, and then, like, I almost won the tournament. You know, like, stuff like that. So, um, I could think of, like, a specific deck, but I remember that one haunted me for a long time. Yeah, that that makes sense. Because, like, it's just a time when the best deck is also a deck that you love. So, that like, would have just been vibe super... with, You know, like, I could, pick it, I could pick it up cold and do well with, you know, like, kind of thing. I I actually... So, while the Blue White Flash deck is a deck that, you know, I, I also would enjoy playing a lot, I was really mad when it emerged... Because I had a deck that was really good in that metagame also, but it was horrible. Like, Blue White Flash was was incredible against it. I uh, I don't know if you remember this, but the guy who won SCG Providence, and it was week two of that format. And if you remember, week one was won by Todd Anderson in Cincinnati, who was playing Miracles, like Blue White Miracles and Standard, but he was splashing red uh, for some key removal. Because the two decks that everyone was talking about was Black Red Zombies and miracles you need pillar of flame yeah yeah it was pillar of flame they were splashing for you and uh and they um because those were like the decks that survived rotation and uh, like back then you know we didn't have it where every set just fundamentally reshaped every format and like decks actually survived rotation to some extent but both decks ended up being bad but they were the decks everybody was like hyped on for week one and he just found like the best build of one of those decks and todd won and yeah, so I this, yeah. when i saw those results i was like okay i know what two decks i need to beat and I ended up building an Abzan tokens deck that a friend of mine won week two with. 
And he won it cold, basically. I was at the card store that Friday, and this was in Providence, so we didn't have to go down early. So I was at the card store. We were literally going to drive up Saturday morning, you know, a nice hour and a half drive. So I'm, like, getting the last couple cards I need. I'm laying my deck out, seeing, like, is, is this what I want? Is, is everything good? And uh, my friend Mark walks in, and he sees and looks at it. It's like, oh, that, that deck looks cool. Like, you got a tournament? I'm like, yeah, there's a turn an open in Providence tomorrow. He's like, oh, I, I don't, I'm off work. Like, I should go. So this deck looks great. And I'm like, yeah, I think this deck's really, really good. I had lost Plague for top eight uh, the week before at, like, a local event. Uh, like, a t- like back when it was, like, one of those TCG events, right? When they had an invitational. Um I actually lost to Miracles. Is it literally the only time I ever lost that matchup? My opponent got very lucky with an entry the Angels, which is basically the only way you could lose. And uh, and so I like knew my deck was good, and it was Abzan Tokens. And that the entire the entire reason I built the deck was because I got to play both mana creatures, Arbor Elf and Absence Pilgrim. And but because it was right after RTR, you had Temple Garden and Overgrown Tomb as the two green chalk lands that were available. You, know, you didn't get the other ones until the next set. So I was like, the mana works for this deck. Like, what can I ramp into with these mana creatures? Like, what, what can I do? And I ended up coming up with Lingering Souls. For, uh, obviously, I was playing Thrag Tusk, and I started playing a bunch of Planeswalkers. I had the the Flip Garrick and the so, the Soren Lord of Innistrad. Not is it Soren Lord of Innistrad? Yeah. The one that the one that gave you an emblem that pumped yeah. the power of all your creatures, uh, or or made tokens. So I ended so it just morphed into a token deck. I actually didn't realize it was a token deck at first. I just put all the cards in the deck. And then I started testing it and realized that I needed like 7,000 tokens. So I put Intangible Virtue in the deck, which wasn't in there to to start with, and it just supercharged it. So I would would have draws where I'd go like, you know, turn one mana creature, turn two souls, turn three flashback souls plus Intangible Virtue, attack for four. I have nine power in play on turn three across five bodies, and I'm ready to like play a Thrag Tusk. You also got to play like three townships and a vault of the archangel. Like, so like you used your mana really well. Um, I played some like of the angel, the seven mana angel that exiled other shit, but the, the deck was just like piles and piles of value. Uh, and you know, the, a few removal spells. I had like two, two oblivion ring and two, uh, sever the bloodline just so my removal spells dealt with anything. You would think that like Jace Architect of Thought was really good against me, but between Soren and Tangible Virtue, you just had enough anthems that it wasn't a problem. That was actually a big turning point. Like before, I had I literally had Elvish Visionary in the deck because that's the kind of person I am, and I was playing against Blue White, and they just would play a Jace sometimes and plus, and I was like, shit, like I need a way to to deal with this other than Soren. And I was like, why is an Intangible Virtue in my like just obvious token deck? Uh, and he literally, you know, Mark just takes the deck, you know, probably played two games with it, shows up and wins the tournament. I think I like top sixty four or something. Yeah, but the deck was like incredibly Obviously. good against both like zombies. You just flooded the board with bodies and blocked, and you had a you had like the centaur and the board that gained three life, uh, and thrag tusks. So like they, they just they this is before that they they had incorporated like thunder my Hulkite and shit to go over the top. So like very good there. And then you just I remember like somebody casting a sphinx's revelation of like six against me, and I just laughed it off. Granted, did they? They only had the one revelation. If they had four, they probably would have won. But this is before we had realized that Sphinx's revelation was fucking busted. But it was I really, knew. I knew it, it was Flash that you know, like you obviously you just couldn't beat fucking dissipate plus Restoration Angel with your tap out for four and five mana cards deck. Yeah. Uh, and so the the next question kind of adds on to this. Is Mason Grode asked, "What's the most ridiculous or silly card that you've registered in an event? Could be considered a good or bad deck, but the card would be a surprise to most people." Do you want me to go first here because I got a couple answers. Well, there was a there was a Paradise Mantle in our Affinity deck at that Pro Tour, 
So I've got that one. I'm trying to think of like a weird card I've registered in a good deck. I know that when I won my first open with Blue White Delver in Standard, my sideboard had 11 one-ofs in it. And I'm trying to think of any of the one-ofs really weird. I had a Tomio and a Frost Titan, because my plan was to like make land drops and have an, a way to lock down a Primeval Titan uh, in those matchups. I, uh, but otherwise, I was just like playing one of all the cards that other people played multiple copies of, but I just had them all. Like I had, you know, what I I know I had two timely. That was one of the two I was in two phantasmal image, but I had one um, celestial purge, and I drew it in both games in the finals when I lost game one against zombies. So go me. Um, I had like one, probably had an extra gut shot or something, maybe an extra dismember. You know, I I probably had one mental misstep, but none of those cards, like individually, none of those cards were like out out of bounds. So not not exactly sure. I usually don't play a lot of like you know spicy one ofs. So I got I got some really good answers. Uh, at a local, uh, we used to have like invitationals in Louisiana, and we'd have it like be like multiple formats and all that stuff. And I remember um, for one of them, uh, I was playing the Rock. Like Jund was really good, but I figured out that Golgari was just better. This is back when like right before DRS got banned right? In modern. And I was like, just straight Golgari is good. And my deck was super teched out. I remember I had like Desecration Demon in modern because it was just so big. The other decks couldn't kill it. You couldn't kill it with Bolt. You couldn't kill it with Abrupt Decay. And there wasn't a lot of ways. And it was just bigger than Goyf in like, you know, the matchup most of the time. So the deck, the deck was just really, really good. But the funny thing is um, at the last minute, I figured out that a lot of people were playing Tron and I didn't own Fulminator Mages. So I just had four Reign of Tears or whatever it's called in my sideboard. Just yeah, actual, actual black destroy land blackstone rain yeah just actual and i ended up beating tron in the finals or semi-finals something like that and i just i just stone rained them or whatever you know i was like inquisition you or whatever like play a termogoyf or whatever stone rain you and they were like they had to read the card and they had to ask if it was legal because obviously i wouldn't got the old version of the card yeah you know like that that wouldn't be modern legal but um one of the ones that really sticks out before getting the other ones this is this is a this is a fun one and i was like super uh when i finally got out of my own headspace i started playing the blue white flash deck i remember i played it in a bunch of opens right and I think my win percentage on the open series with it was like well over 70%. Like I was just crushing every open with this, right? It's funny because I never made a top eight because it was back in the, the one day opens and I would just like eight two every, every one of them. And, you know, I would just like lose the last round and miss top eight or whatever. So I was a top 16 all-star. But I remember once um, trying to figure out how to beat or do better against the deck that you talked about that, that beat it with Hellrider and Thundermill Hellkite and it had uh, Cavernous Souls, right? And like that was the problem. And I figured that... You trying to resolve the card, rewind and dissipating against them was not a good place to be, right? You know, because they're just either going to aggro you out while you're holding that mana up, or they're just going to have Cavernous Souls and make it bad. So I wanted a card that could actually kill Hellrider or or the the Dragon uh, Thunderbolt Hellkite in play. And I remember first I tried, what was it, Burning Oil? The the red and white flashback card that deal, dealt yeah. three. And it was just too inefficient because it could kill Hellrider, but the, like you'd still get hurt a bunch, but it couldn't always kill Thunderbolt Hellkite. Yeah, you would need six mana to play and flash it back in one turn. So the card ended up registering at this open, and I remember I finished, like, I think 10th or something in this open, is I played the card Rebuke. Nice. And I remember Ruben Bressler getting really excited about it because he like, he's like, hey, what are you playing before the tournament? So he could, like, know what I was... And he was going through it and went through my sideboard, and he goes, hey, you've got a proxy in your sideboard. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm actually registering that card. And he's like, what? And I told him, and he was just like, oh, my God, you broke it or whatever. It was funny because I got a feature match around four or five. I'm like undefeated at this point, and I play against the Hellrider Thunderball Hellkite deck, right? And we're playing this game, and uh, I can't remember the game count or whatever, but I, just, I remember the way the game goes for the first couple turns. I'm like, 
This guy is sandbagging a uh, a Cavern of Souls, and he's going to cast, you know, Hellrider into Thunderball. It's the only reason for him to kept the hand that he kept. Because, you know, he went, like, land, 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 and didn't do anything. But he knew yeah. that these cards were good against my deck. So... Uh, I pass with three mana up. Uh, for everybody who doesn't know, sorry, Rebuke is a white instant. It's two and a white, and it destroys target attack or, attacking or blocking creature. That's it. That's the card. Like, doesn't draw a card, nothing like that, nothing fancy. That's just all it does. So I remember on turn four, he's got like three different lands. He just slams the Cavern of Souls, and he says Devil or whatever it is, right? And he goes like, you know, uh, cast, uh, why does blank of the card his name seven times? I'm sorry, I'm having a rough day. Cast uh, Hellrider or Thunderball. Yeah, cast, cast Hellrider. And he's like, attack, trigger. And I'm like, cool. Before damage, rebuke your, your Hellrider. And he's like, what? And he had to like re- he literally had to read the card. He's like, I've never seen this card before. He's like, I'm like, yeah, it's like, you know, in the set or whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's a, lot of, it's a limited card. And he's like, okay. And he puts his card in the yard. And I just know, I'm like, this guy has another cavern for dragon or whatever. So next turn, I play my fifth land, say go. He plays his fifth land, says dragon, is, you know, plays Thunderball and then goes to write five on the on the sheet and I'm like hold on I'm like snapcaster my rebuke rebuke a dragon and then like totally just turn the the, the span of the game from there because now I'm up to like six and seven mana and I have like a sphinx's revelation so like I can't lose anymore you know it was just funny that like because half the time when you do stuff like that when you add these silly one-ofs or these cool tech cards it, the situation doesn't come up you know what I mean like you yeah. don't just get to get someone and like getting it to actually come up was pretty pretty cool Okay, I think I think I've come up with with a pretty good silly card, and it's it's got to be the Ral. Is it Viceroy? I had in my sideboard of Is it Phoenix when See, I won in I'm Baltimore. Gonna say, I'm gonna say this one kind of counts and kind of doesn't because like it's a mythic planeswalker, and mine was like draft twenty third yeah, card. It's also a five mana card in modern. Sure, this is saying I'm kind of giving this one to you. Yeah, and I got to top deck it to kill Brad's Baneslayer Angel to win game two of our quarterfinal match. Which was that, also was, sweet. that was pretty sweet. I'm not gonna lie. Just basically, just living the dream. Uh, yeah, I remember sitting next to you and watching you, and I, just, I had to keep. I remember every time you cast, I had to reread the damn thing. I was like, "What does that one yeah. do again?" <laughs> you know, that card was still legal like a month ago, and standard it finally yep. is not legal standard anymore. It feels like for forever. Modern Open Champion Ral is it Viceroy? Yeah, I mean, let's go. Go Ross Merriam, I guess, playing unplayable cards in his deck and still winning anyway. Dude, it was great. All the Jeskai decks had fucking Baneslayer on their sideboard. You didn't want to leave in Lightning Axe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still did leave in one because it also killed uh, Colonnade. And you could pitch it to, to Faithless Living. But it was nice to just have free ways to kill their stupid fucking 5-5s five that also took over the game if they were resolved. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've got to say just the, the one that came to mind immediately when I got asked this question is I got to tell the rebuke story. Um, yeah. that, I'm trying to think about, I don't think I ever had any other like really weird or cool tech cards. I had an entire deck that was like this, that I played at a constructed pro tour where You're I had the cynic graft deck. Yeah. Where I played blue, blue, green graft. And the card that stood out the most in the deck was a card called Cyto shape. And it's like one blue, green instant. And it says, uh, target creature. And pl- it's like, you choose a creature in play. And then target creature becomes a copy of that chosen creature, right? And this is one of the first instances in Magic where the word choose got to really be abused, right? Because it doesn't target. You're, you're just choosing a card. You're not targeting it, right? And in that format, Simic Sky Swallower was a house, right? It was like decks were built around. You just played good cards. It was a house in standard too. Right, yeah. And so this, this was a block pro tour. This is a team block pro tour. And the good thing about my deck was not only was it good, it didn't take cards away from your teammates because this was one of the formats where if I have 
card in my deck, they can't, you know, like if I have four breeding pools in my deck, they can't have breeding pool. Yeah, you know, it was um, unified. Unified. And so um, what the cool thing about Cyto Shape was, there was a couple things, right? Is there was the, uh, the Simic Sky Swaller thing where I could attack any of my creatures into their Simic Sky Swaller when they would block, I would turn my creature into a Sky Swaller because I'm never targeting their card. I'm only targeting my own. Yeah. And I got a judge called on me every single round but one. Paulo was the only one that understood how it works without me having to, like, explain it to him. <laughs> and then uh, you'd also have the feel-bad thing where they would be like, okay, fine. And they would put their Sky Swallower in the graveyard, and I would go to my second main phase. And they'd be like, oh, your guy dies. I'm like, why? Mine has plus one, plus one counters on it. Like, you know, or I would, like, trample over. You know, be like, all yeah. right, you take trample damage here or whatever. So there's always that funny moment. Or if you ever turned their creatures into yours, they immediately died to state-based effects because all of my creatures were zero zeros. They just had plus one, plus one counters on them. So the way the card is printed is it turns them into a copy of my card just with no plus one, plus one counters on so them. So it was just split card overrun Plague Wind? Yes. It was <laughs> absurd. For and three I'm mana. Just, yeah, and I'm just playing like, like, like just, to, just to kind of get into everyone's attention, like what kind of deck that I, and like I went undefeated at this Pro Tour and in, 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 uh, Constructed, and I played four Simic Initiate in my deck in a Constructed Pro Tour. And I looked like a little kid. You know what I mean? Like, I was, like, playing these, like, green creatures that are big and have plus plus counters. And I had to, like, empty this bag of dice onto the board and stuff. And I looked all happy doing it. And so I was like, yeah. And this is in 2006 before yeah. people could really do that. Maybe yeah. 05. Yeah. And, uh, like, the deck played Remand, which was really big. And there was some cool stuff. Like, but but Cytoshape being this weird card that, like, no one had even, you know, it was a rare in the set that people were like, I don't even know what that card does. Yeah. You know, kind it, of thing. You, know, so. you, you wouldn't even play it limited. Yeah, definitely wouldn't have played it limited and stuff. And so the card was just absolutely bonkers for like exactly that term. It played Plax Manta too, which was like a really cool card. And you just, you were just like this, it was like my first ever real Delver deck, you know, kind of thing. Like pure tempo, you know, trying to protect a couple cards. And you only ma you only pay attention to what matters kind of thing. So uh, those are my answers to that question. I love the questions that we got this week. So make sure that y'all keep those coming in the mailbag in the future. And before we talk about going to the mailbag, I do want to mention our sponsor uh, one more time, just to make sure that everybody knows uh, the sponsor that we got going on and tries it out. I actually talked to the owner of Barrister and Man uh, today in an email, and he's talking about how they've been having some orders rolling in with our code, which is just uh, PioneerCast. Nice. And he's like, yeah, we've been getting steady orders coming in. Um, they're they're having to catch up. They've, they've been having a hectic time because uh, with the COVID stuff going on, a lot of people are in, in, in the mood for some hand soap. And some good hand soap, right? And you could do a lot worse than ordering from Barrister Man. A lot of quality products on there. Really good ingredients. I, I'm pretty excited about them, like, just smelling good. You know, because I think I've mentioned this show before. I'm kind of done with, like, the synthetic liquid soap thing. You know, it looks like it looks like dishwasher detergent, like, uh, liquid. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm, I'm over it. Yeah, stuff, stuff that's like, yeah, it's going to get you clean, but it's going to just dry out your skin. Like yeah, and I think I've told you that that's a problem I've had recently. It's like I've felt like my skin's a lot drier. My, my face is dried up. I've had to like use moisturizer more and stuff. And so this is something that helps out a lot. Uh, I've been using the uh, a lot of the extra shaving stuff. And um, like, you know, I've got the animal hair brush to, you know, kind of lather. Yeah, I got my one face. of those now too. Yeah. Have you gotten to use it yet? Nope. Please use I, it and tell me I just, what you I like just it. fiddle with it at my desk because yeah. it's so soft. It's awesome. Um, I love it. You get to kind of like lather up the, the stuff for you to shave with a lot better. And it's better for your skin. It helps exfoliate. You know, it, it, it helps moisturize. I'm just a big fan of my products doing more than one thing and having quality ingredients in them. And that's what you're going to find at Barrister and Man. It's just well-made shit. 
Okay? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you want some well-made shit that smells really fucking good, the Seville scent, that's that's my go-to. Tannin's more of a minty fresh kind of guy. Yeah, I like, I, I sweat a lot down here. It's really fucking hot in Louisiana. And I, it's fine. You know, I gotta go cut the grass and stuff. I'm just like not sweating nearly as much. It's great. This is my favorite time of year. Yeah, it's very refreshing. And so, like that. so I like it. And uh, a lot of lavender down here because that's what my wife likes. So, um, love that kind of stuff. Um, I, I know that I have a lot of birthdays at this point in the year. Like, I, the holidays are always like the end of the year for me. But it's also the end of gift giving because it just happens that everyone in my family was born like September, October, or later in the year, including myself. So, all the gifts start coming out now. So I've already ordered a bunch of stuff for like my brother and some other people and, you know, gifts and stuff for them. Um, just really cool. I, I, I like the stuff a lot. Make sure you check out their site. That's Barrister Man. Use our code uh, PioneerCast. You get 15% off your order. Uh, tell them we sent you, you know, by using that code and definitely check out their stuff. I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, this is more for, than just for the guys too. I mean, you know, hey, the girls listening, if you're, if your boyfriend, husband, brother, they need, they need something, you can maybe find some stuff for yourself on there too. Like that, the hand soap stuff are ubiquitous and great. A lot of cool stuff on there. Yep. Um, honestly, smell better. Use better products. Smell better. I, I really think they should pay me to do some kind of like, you know, the voiceover for their <laughs> commercials or whatever and just get me. A little ASMR. Yeah, yeah. Just like, you know, get, get smell there. Smell better, you know, Like, can, can you imagine? It's like, Barrister and Man, smell better. That's it. Like, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, like it's like Napa know-how, you know, like they have the, like the, the little catchy jingle yeah. or whatever, or just the hook. Yeah. Barrister man, be cleaner, you know, just, just something like, I don't know that one, that one might not be great, but you know, I'm, I don't get paid for that part. All right. I'm, I'm the voice and I'm the, the face. There we go. Barrister and man, don't be a dirty fuck. <laughs> I like that one too. <laughs> and with the sultry tones of Ross Merriam. So, there you go. What more could you I want? I like how, like when you said that. I just envisioned you being a disc jockey at like two in the morning where you play like all the songs that people have sex to and like, or excuse me, I'm sorry, make love to. And like you, you're, you're drinking, you're literally the ladies man, you know, sipping yeah. on some Cavassier or whatever. Got a, got a cigarette in my mouth, sunglasses on, even though I'm inside in a studio. Cause I'm not going to lie with your hair as long as it is and the beard you got going and you're going to be like dressing for warmer weather soon. You got that like seventies hipster kind of vibe thing going on. Yep. So I, yeah, I, I kind of like it kind of like it so make sure you check that out it's only getting longer yeah i think i'm actually going to get my mine cut again sometime soon here it's getting it's getting too much it's getting too much because the areas i still have it it's too thick but then i'm losing another it sucks man I'm getting tannin old. your hair is very short uh yeah compared to just, yours just grow it out no we could be we could be twins have you seen me with growing hair before i'm showing you those pictures right it's not pretty ross it could it could have changed you never know yeah well, well you think it's not it's just not curly like all of a sudden i just have straight hair because i don't <laughs> i don't know I, all i know is i want to see it it's not gonna happen. It, okay. you, you saw it a little bit towards the beginning of the, of the the pandemic. I didn't, you know, cut my hair for like three or four months, but that's not happening again. I haven't cut my hair for seven and a half months. Good for you. No, I'm just messing. But uh, yeah, well, I uh, I take a lot of precautions. I'm like the only person in the building besides my barber and stuff like that, so I feel okay doing it. I'm I feel a little guilty at times, but you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. But uh, like I mentioned, a uh, huge fan of the questions from the mailbag today. So make sure you keep that coming. Uh, the way that you do that is through our uh, a lot of things, like including our Discord. Sorry, I uh, was trying to read something at the same time. You know when you read something and you're talking and they're two different things and then your brain just doesn't yeah, work? Yeah, your brain's just like, no. Yeah, so you can get into our Discord. Things, yeah, there's multiple ways to get into our Discord. The easiest one is to go to our Twitter, which is at Cast Pioneer. Make sure you follow us on there. You get all the uh, announcements for the show. Uh, we, we retweet some cool deck lists, some contests. Uh, speaking of those, I'm kind of working on one of those. I got one of those in my back pocket sometime soon. Uh, but on there, there's a link to our Discord. 
Um, if not, just message me your Ross or Shaheen Sarani is the joke. Don't don't message Shaheen Sarani. Message me your Ross and uh, or Brent, you know the, the editor of the show, and we'll get you a link to the Discord. It is very active in there. Lots of cool stuff going on, magic related and non-magic related. I'm a big fan of the pets and food section. Like I said, I actually posted a picture of my beautiful dog the other day. I will say this: the food section has been killing me lately because they have been bringing it every single time, and I just like I just I, I take pictures of all of it. I'm like I want to I want to do this. I want to do this. It's almost that thing where you have so many things you want to do that you don't do anything because you get like, it's like fatigue yeah, you, of like just wanting, to, wanting to do too many things. So you can't do one kind of thing. Like it's ADD at its finest kind of stuff. So make sure you check it out. And we have patron only uh, sections in our discord. And one of the perks of being a patron is you get to ask those questions live on air. Uh, we're going to be sending some stuff out to the patrons as soon as we get that kind of worked out. I think what's going to end up happening is we're going to be redoing the tokens. Uh, pretty soon for the show. Ross and I still have to talk about some of that stuff behind the scenes. Y'all be hearing an announcement about it relatively soon, but there's a reason why we haven't sent the tokens out just yet, but we will be relatively soon whenever we get all that stuff taken out. Uh, our Patreon is at patreon.com slash pioneercast. Make sure you check it out. Lots of different tiers with cool replacements. Also, if you're one of those, uh, Ross mentioned earlier, we have a patron only episode. It does go live to everyone like about a month and a half later after we record the show, but you get an extra episode every month and a half, every four to six weeks. We get an extra episode, and that episode is usually uh, garnered by the the viewers and listeners of our show. So if you're a patron, you get to ask questions in that section that you get to hear us answer a lot ahead of time, and you get to kind of, uh, what's the right word here? You get to kind of direct the show, I think is the, is the way to put it. Sure. Yeah, you get to kind of be the director. So if you've ever wanted to sit in that chair and yell it, People that are, you know, dance, monkey, dance. You know, you make me and Ross do whatever you want to do and talk about whatever you want to talk about. So make sure you show up there. Ross, if people wanted to hear you talk some more, see you dance some more, where would they go? Your best place is my Twitter. I'm at Ross Hunnids. That's sort of your one-stop shop for all of my content and magic goings on. Uh, next is my written content on StarCityGames.com. Articles go up on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This week's article is all about the five sideboard cards, one from each color, that you need to know about for this week of Standard. So if you're having trouble trying to, like, you know, pin down a metagame because it's week one, you're not sure what's going on, I got you covered there. Then there is my uh, video content for StarCityGames.com, which is, of course, Versus Live, uh, the web show I co-host with Corey Baumeister. We are on the Star City Games Twitch channel, uh, which is just twitch.tv slash StarCityGames. Every uh, Tuesday and Thursday from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern, we play whatever is really relevant. We have a good time with it. If you catch us live, we take questions, you know, right on the air from the chat. Uh, if you can't catch us live, those do go up on the Star City Games YouTube channel the next day by 5 p.m. Eastern. They're uploaded, so you can watch the VODs there. Uh, if you missed it this week, we did another viewer uh, deck submission episode. So you're going to want to, you know, follow me and Corey on Twitter to figure out when the next one of those is, because that's where we take deck list submissions and you can get your deck featured on Versus Live, which is really cool. And then last but not least is my personal stream. I'm uh, twitch.tv slash Ross Miriam, um, M-E-R-R-I-A-M. Appreciate any and all support on all of those platforms. Uh, as far as my stream goes, I don't know exactly when Brent's going to be able to get this out, but I know I'm planning on streaming the next three days. We're recording this on Thursday evening. So all through the weekend, because we've got the 
last Season 2 Championship qualifier for the SCG Tour Online on Saturday, then the Season 2 Championship on Sunday. So I'm back in the swing playing some tournaments, so you can watch me stream a lot of Standard and yell about the Arena Client all weekend. <laughs> yeah, I love that stuff. Uh, if you want to hear some more stuff from me or see some more stuff from me, my Twitter is just at the Tannen Grace. My Twitch is at Tannen Grace, and yeah, it's been a little active lately. I know I've been talking about it for months and not been that super active, but I've been uh, streaming the new set quite a bit. And uh, there's a chance I might play some standard for Monday. We'll see what the announcement is Monday. I'm just not super into playing Uro into Omnath every round, but maybe I should try it out. Maybe I'll like it and enjoy it. So maybe I should give it a try before they ban it. Doubtful. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. But um, lots of magic going on on there. Sometimes I play other games on there. You know, I got a little bit of the variety streamer in me, but not a lot. We'll see. Uh, so, you know, definitely check that stuff out. And uh, thanks for listening to this week's episode. And we'll see you all next week. damn port town.